Happy Labor Day. Or day after Labor Day. Back to school day. Whatever it is. It is the People's Show. Satyar Shah with Big Nazar and is coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Producing the show today, Josh Ellie Wolf, Elon Chark as well, behind the glass. A lot of fun coming up on this Tuesday. It is back to school. So we have a topic, a, a bit of a fun topic. And we want your interaction to our Dunbar Lumber Text Inbox 65650. It's back to school. So what did the Canucks need to go to back to go to back to school on? Like what did the Canucks need to go back to school to learn it? Individual players, the organization, team, coaches, whomever you want that's part of the Canucks organization. What do they need to do on back to school day to take a step forward this season as an organization? Let us know. 65650. Could be a player, could be a coach. What are they signing up for? What are you signing what up for? What electives are they taking? Right. Or like, what should you go back and study? Like, do you have to redo something? Yeah. Is, is there something Summer you want school? a Canucks player to redo? Let us know. Do you need to go back a grade? Does somebody have to go back a grade potentially? Is that like going to the minors? Use your oh, imagination. Man. We're going to have some fun with this coming up in a bit. What do the Canucks need to go back? Need to go back to school on? Let us know. 650 is our Dunbar Lumber text inbox. A lot coming up on the show. Dan Schulman's going to join us at 1.30. We'll delve into the Toronto Blue Jays, who have now won three in a row, but still trailing behind in the wild card race. We'll discuss what the Jays have coming up, and we'll see what Dan Schulman thinks about the team. Donnie and Donnie and Dolly, they return today on Check TV, and Don Taylor is going to join us coming up at 2 to discuss all things Vancouver Canucks and also what it's like being back to work again. We'll talk to Don Taylor. And then one of our, one of our favorites, and honestly, Bick, because I do Canuck Central, mm-hmm. and Canuck Central is going to come back next week, and you and I will no longer be hosting this show, but we'll be hosting the post-game shows and everything. But one thing I'll also be hosting this show, by the way. You'll be do- doing this show. <laughs> Big's doing the people's show. I'm yeah. just saying we won't be hosting a show together unless it's the post-game <laughs> yes. show or fill-ins kind of happen. Next week, we're back to a regular programming, so to speak. But... One guy that I love talking to, and we've been chatting with him since the inception of this radio station. One of my since favorite, day one. Or- since day one. Yeah. And one of my favorite topics of conversation was, what's your favorite quarterback matchup? And also, what was the best throw that you saw last week in the NFL? I'm not sure we'll be talking about the best throws. Maybe the best throw in the preseason. Maybe we'll throw that by. <laughs> Mark Schofield is going to join us at 2.30. I'm hyped to talk to Mark Schofield. And he's the absolute best. We're going to have a lot of fun talking NFL quarterbacks and the NFL season, which begins on Thursday. Kickoff only two sleeps away before the NFL season begins. So we'll get through that uh, as well. Our show is going to 3.30 today and a bit later at 3 o'clock. Well, we're going to tell you what Bick and I believe the individual records for every single NFL team will be and how the divisions will shake out. So we'll talk about that as well coming up at 3. Now, before we get to all that fun stuff and keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber Text inbox, 650-650, what did the Canucks need to go back to school on? And we'll discuss that as the show goes on. But Bick, I know um, we love breaking news. This isn't exactly breaking news, you know, for you to like, oh, I, I got to listen to this because this, this pertains to the Canucks or, or a sports team. But we have some 650 breaking news, which was announced earlier today, mm-hmm. which makes you very excited. Well, because it's your favorite team and maybe yeah. you're feeling the spirit today by wearing your Seahawks hoodie as well. Yeah, the new home of the Seahawks as well. You'll hear uh, all the games on Sundays or Thursdays or Mondays whenever the Seahawks are playing. Uh, very excited for this. Uh 
announced earlier today. Uh, so 12s above the border. I uh, got a, a, a spot to listen to the Seahawks here on the Sportsnet 650 uh, network. Nice, nice. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, we've been wanting the Seahawks to be part of the station one way or another for a while, and we're glad to announce the Seahawks games will be heard on 650 throughout the NFL season. And more football talk is even better for all of us, of course, right? And as far as football goes, we talked about the BC Lions uh, last week, and we talked about how, hey, it's, it's a big game coming up for them mm-hmm. this week, especially in Montreal against the Alouettes. And it was a bit of a dicey one, but they found a way to pull that one out and now eight and four on the season things look a lot better to launch off point now that you've got past labor day and we'll mm-hmm. see how the team does heading into the fall as well the white caps we talked about that as well one one draw against uh new york fc which hey is not bad on the road on they the keep road. their winning yep. ways going and they have a chance to not only f- make the playoffs but pick the see how the, the white caps could be a top three team in the western conference if they keep their current form going the way they have but I think we all agree, you and I at least agree, the big Canadian sports story of the Labor Day weekend, Team Canada, baby, at the FIBA Basketball World Championships. They have punched their ticket to the Olympics. I'm so hyped. We we have Canada basketball back at the Olympics again. I'm so excited for it. But hey, we can talk about that as well. But Canada still has some hope to not only continue living on in this tournament, playing Slovenia tomorrow, a game you can watch on Sportsnet, by the way, but... Maybe just maybe uh, they can go a little bit farther and, and maybe play for some glory in this tournament. Yeah, it's a big one. You don't need to white knuckle it down the rest of the way. You're ran for Paris. Now you can start building towards Paris as well, right? Everything just comes across a bit easier. And having things settled and also coming back the way that they did, we talked about, hey, a little bit of a disappointment through this. Yeah. Have some resolve, showcase a little bit of something. They dig down and they and they they come back with a big win immediately after and punch your ticket. That's big step, and now it's start focusing mm-hmm. towards what the Paris Olympics are going to be. Well, you know, I think we should start with Shea Gilgis Alexander. Mm-hmm. And I mean, hey, we, we know you need to have a go to guy in every sport, especially in basketball in a tournament like this, and he's clearly Canada's go to player. But I mean. The stones he showed, the big buckets he made late in that game. I mean, Canada was trailing, and it looked like they were going to play themselves out. And Shea just took over in the fourth quarter. It's a type of performance that not only gets you excited as you know a basketball fan and, and as a Canadian sports fan, but also the fact that you have a player who's a real closer. Mm-hmm. And Jamal Murray's been injured, and he's we know he's almost as good a closer as anybody, especially in the postseason, uh, by virtue of them winning the title this past year with the Denver Nuggets, him and Nikola Jokic just dominating the NBA playoffs. But Having Shea Gilgis be able to essentially get whatever shot he wants, knock down big free throws, be available, get open looks. I'm just more and more impressed every single time I watch this kid play. And, you know, I know we talked about him throughout the course of this past year. Anytime we discuss basketball, if it, if it came up, be like, hey, Shea, Shea Gilgis might be one of the most underrated superstars in, in basketball. I don't think he's going to be very underrated in Canada anymore. No, not at all. And you mentioned, hey, Jamal Murray's there too. It's no longer like a. Steve Nash scenario of like, you're the best guy on the court. You're the closeout guy. Everyone can dedicate their resources to you. Come Paris, yeah, there's going to be a chance, you know, Shea and Jamal playing together. You can no longer just target one guy. Now, we're talking multiple decades back here, but that's exciting for the future of what that Canadian backcourt is going to look like. Just two dynamic Mm -hmm. threats. And not even let's boost someone up and say, hey, this is the Canadian hope, the two Canadian hopes. These guys are among the two 17, 15 best players in the league. Yeah. That's... Gives you a chance. That's remarkable. And if you're in 
close games near the end, these guys are nails, man. Absolutely. And, and you know, what you need more than anything is to be able to build out a team with role players that can do their part and help out. And, hey, listen, Canada's high end obviously is not high enough compared to where the Americans are. But all you need is two or three stars that go off and they can control your game. And can everybody else do their part? Mm-hmm. And Dylan Brooks has been criticized quite a bit this past year, had his problems in the playoffs, of course. And, you know, he, he's uh, he's he's he's, he's um, run his mouth a few times and hasn't been able to back it up. But his defense and his big playability and just the intangibles he brings to a squad, I thought he was fantastic. And I think he's a, he was one of the maybe more um, unsung heroes, I think, of of the game and, and them finding a way to punch their ticket to the Olympics. But I also just look at the overall roster and it's like, hey, they have guys who are very good at specific things. Lou Dort is showing some stuff. And it just seems like every single time we get to an international tournament, Kelly Olenek brings it as well. But I like how this team has role players mixed in with all the with, with a couple stars and they look like a functional real international basketball team and that's exactly what you have to be if you want to have success at that stage uh we got uh the multi exclamation mark text already in from basketball phil wake up at 5 30 let's go <laughs> shut down luca and go to the semifinals. Roster, uh, rosters light years better than theirs. That's basketball Phil texting in 650, 650. Yeah, I mean, uh, Luka Doncic is, we've we've seen him carry some uh, lackluster Denver, uh, Dallas Mavericks teams, and we saw in that this past playoffs with the playoffs before and how Luka took care of the Phoenix Suns almost on his own. He's very hard to beat. Mm-hmm. Like, And we've seen him go, go, go off against NBA teams, good NBA teams to find a way to win. So it's not going to be easy, but I do agree. I like Canada's chances. So we'll talk Talk some more about the hoops uh, tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? Yes, yeah, tomorrow, 5.30. And we don't have Bright a show early. tomorrow. We don't Bright have a show early. tomorrow. But, oh, you know, we'll be talking about it on Thursday when we're back on the airwaves. But, yeah, very excited to see Kanda punch his tickets big and go to the Olympics again. And, honestly, man, like, it's pretty jarring because the last time they made the Olympics was 2000. 2000. That's 23 years ago. I was still in high school. I remember being in high school and being excited about Canada going to the Olympics and watching the Olympics in the summer before going to grade 11. Like, that tells you, like, how long ago this was. Mm-hmm. What was I, grade 10? I mean, I don't even remember parts of grade 10. I was uh, two years old. You were two years old at the time. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I would have been two. Elon, how old were you? You won. Elon one. was one was one years old, yeah. and, and uh, Josh Elliott Wolf was two years old, and Bick and I were in high school at the time. Yeah. So that's how long, long it's been. Long way to go. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. But we're excited and hopefully Canada keeps this going at the World uh, FIBA Championships. All right. Uh, we have a lot of reaction on a text inbox, 650-650. We posed a question. We posed it. We said, what did the Canucks need to go back to school on in, in the spirit of back to school? And, you know, Bick, uh, if we had, if we posed this question last year, I would say back to Pee Wee, man. Like, back to the basics. Seriously. Do you know where to put your stick? Do you know where to stick? Now, Do you know where what, what lane to put your stick in on the PK? Rick talking put him through a practice that was basically grade school practice. Yes. And we keep hearing about, hey, structures and habits and standards. <laughs> like, all that is day one stuff. Yeah. That's small time. It is. But ha, have like, they, clearly, they're, they're trying to build it all back up. Now, if we get to training camp and we're having conversations about going back to the very basics, then I think this is a year you got to put a you got to put a the, fork the, in this team whole, already. The if, whole if that's benefit the case. was bringing in Rick talking in early was do all that work earlier. So can they instead of going back to preschool, can they go to grad school now and properly graduate? Is that what's going on with Rick talk this season? Where are they at right now? So they, they did the 30 games. They, they went back to grade school. They, you, you expect them to have a good summer. They're probably in like 
like a junior college. Juco, the playing Juco. Now trying to transfer to a proper college. In theory, like Billy Madison went through all the steps pretty fast, right? But then he had money behind him. It was one grade every two weeks, right? (laughs) So you figure that out for the Canucks, you know, they they, they go through that uh, from mid-January to the end of July. That's eight weeks. They should have put themselves through at least, you know, 10, 12 grades by now. Oh, absolutely. They probably should have, but the the thing is they've had a real tough time doing so. Now, you came up with this topic before the show began. Did you have something in mind, Big, a player or something specifically that this about this back to school topic of yours like who who exemplifies needing to go back to school to work on something on this Canucks team to you yeah whatever individual you look at or whatever team philosophy that they need to sort out text in 650 650 we're getting a lot of funny ones uh but the first thing and I've seen it already come in the penalty kill yeah like this is a team related thing go figure the defense guy is all with the the the, the penalty kill (laughs) But give yourself a fighting chance. Yeah. Don't go into every game already shooting your foot. And this, to me, is something that's going to define this season. They went out and acquired people specifically for this role. They've got coaches that they believe are ready to fix this. Goaltending is obviously going to help a great deal. This, to me, though, if you look at the transactions they did, they all are guys that feature on penalty kill. Mm-hmm. Even going back to Philip Ronick, Yeah. All these guys feature on the penalty kill. If this is what your summer was about, this it should be reflected in the season. They've clearly, hopefully, drawn off the whiteboard and starting all over again. Wiped off the uh, whiteboard. But this is the big one for me. The penalty kill better be functional. Yeah. No, I, I agree. The penalty kill needs to be. And, you know, considering how they were playing last year, I would have said just basic details. Basic details. Like, sometimes it's okay to just chip a puck in. Mm-hmm. Like, time and place. Like, understanding time and place, I think, is something that this team had a real hard time understanding. Now, to your point before, the reason it brought talk it in was, hey, you're not going to solve everything in 30 games, but can you nip some stuff in the butt at least? And mm-hmm. at least, you know, create a, a more solid footing to really impart the knowledge you want to impart on them next training camp to take that step forward. So, so I don't I don't want to keep going back to that and say the details, but I'm going to stay with special teams and I'm going to say the power play. Because I have a lot of faith in this team's power play because you have Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, and JT Miller, three excellent power play performers. Oh, yeah, and Andre Kuzmenko and his ability to score goals on the power play. But their entire philosophy may have to be different because they don't have the same threat in the bumper spot that is Bo Horvat. And I don't mean to say that as, oh, God, they get rid of Horvat, they didn't replace him. This is really problematic about what's going to happen on their power play. I actually think they can, they can find out how to have success without Bo, but it's going to have to be different. And how different is that going to be? We haven't seen any of it, really. We saw some stuff last year, but it seemed a little janky, and it really didn't come together. Rick Tockett spoke about needing to change the philosophy on the power play a little bit, yeah, empowering the players a bit more, using the Sedins, and obviously Gonchar being their part-time, and how he himself has to have a bigger say in it. But I think the overall philosophy and what the focal points of the power play is going to be is going to be a massive thing for this team. I think, honestly, like to your point, the PK and the power play, and this is assuming health and you know goaltending being okay, they will be the two biggest factors that determine whether this team is going to be able to be in the playoffs or not be in the playoffs this season. It's kind of scary when you say it like that. Their PK hasn't been very good. Yeah. And 
But goalie health wasn't there last year. No. Two years, you can really say. So that's that's something that's like, hey, if everything hinges on two things that haven't been successful in the last 82 games, it, it leaves a lot, a, a lot of uh, wanting to yeah. say, hey, like, hey, I'm ready to jump in two feet. And, and there's going to be some people that over the first three weeks of the season are just going to be dipping their toe back in and say, hey, I'm not really ready to, to sign up. And, and that's, you know, we've harped so much, obviously, on the start of the regular season. What are they going to do to start the season? Yeah. And it's not as if, as if, as if it's an easy task to begin. You have this historically bad power or uh, penalty kill going up against a historically great power play to start yeah. the year twice in Edmonton. Uh, absolutely, right? And I mean, so... You know, and we got some texts that are really funny. We'll get to those in a second. And perhaps some individuals that may need to go back to school on something individual to get better at this upcoming season. But this leads me to something else this team really needs to figure out. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. Mm-hmm. Like, don't harm your own chances. And, you know, in the spirit of going back to school, remember, like, the lifestyle ch- classes they had? Like, like it's like, hey, we're, today we're not focusing on... PK, power play, you're skating, you're shooting. We're focusing on what you as an individual can do mentally and how to prepare yourself for adulthood, right? And it's like, how about you show up in shape? How about you are serious during the season? How about you do practice hard? Those aren't things that, you know, you need technique for. They're just like, do you have the right mindset? It's like, the reason you take some of these electives in school, it's not about you actually learning to do those things. It's about you preparing yourself to be like, okay, I have to stand on my own feet one day. So how do I prepare myself for life? And this Canucks team last year had way too many individuals who did not know how to handle life. They skipped home ec. They absolutely skimmed, skipped home ec in a big, big way, right? How about you guys show up serious this one time? Because honestly, like, and this was part of my question last year, but even more so now because you've made some changes. You've got a new coach. There's alignment, all this, all this stuff, right? But do you have enough serious people here that care enough that are actually paying attention? And it's like Talk had mentioned to IMAC in that piece the other day. It's like, yeah, great. I hear you. You're sick and tired of missing the playoffs. You're sick of not winning hockey games. But what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about making it different this time around? And do you have the right mindset? And I just wonder, my biggest question here, because this is something we can't quantify without we don't really know, what they've shown us the past three years is to be very weary of their seriousness as individuals, especially on this team, but also as a collective, how they come together or don't come together. Can you just not shoot yourself in the foot this season? Can you be a professional when the season begins? 650-650, Mike and Willoughby. Canucks don't need to go back to school. They've been to kindergarten. They've learned to share. Unfortunately, what they're sharing is pain. But hey, they're still sharing. That's Mike and Willoughby. Uh, Hockey Jedi Jeff says, Canucks lesson that still needs to be learned is salary cap 101. Every year, teams up against the cap. Every year, we need to make some reactive moves like Dickinson for a second. And this year, we'll have issues with Pearson if he is ready. It would mean Canucks are at least $3 million over the cap. So this club management, st- uh, this club and management still needs to learn that having cap space is king. And we keep repeating history and failing the class. Degrade for duplication of past mistakes. That is Hockey Jedi Jeff. So Hockey Jedi Jeff is already grading the Canucks before the first day of school has tr- truly come to an end. I mean, hey. This Report is, cards are in. They're in already. It's not easy to do well here. Uh, and this one says, we need to change the principle. Yep, new owner required. Well, 
that's that's easier said than done, but that's a sentiment that is coming in here in terms of changing the principle. But it's more about going back to school and learning things and what can people learn and what can they specifically get better at. And North Creek Dan says, connects me to get back to school for a class called Intro to Special Teams, pa- Power Play Essentials, Chapter 1, Feed Petey the Puck. That's North Creek Dan. That's great. I mean, kind of an extension of that. The AP class of that is, can Elias Pedersen just shoot the puck more? Yes. That would be a massive step on that, yeah. fixing the power play. Yeah. Hey, get him the puck? Certainly. He probably doesn't touch the puck near enough in general. We always have the puck tracking stats, and you know Quinn Hughes has got it at two-plus minutes every game. And JT's the second guy yeah, that and, dominates and the puck. Petey needs the puck more, just yeah. in general. Well, I mean, you know, in that spirit, too often, Petey's just the trigger man, mm-hmm. and it's like, Hey, you can move him around a bit more. You've got um, you've got capabilities to put up a hundred points. Well, that's why the movement needs to be there more in yeah. the power play, right? And, and like I think the only player who can be static in his spot is pretty much Quinn. Mm-hmm. But even him, you but want him moving around back too, and forth, yeah. right? Everybody else, you can move around a little bit. And I think that's what, if you want Elias Pettersson to shoot the puck more and have him be more of a threat, he can't be a stationary one-time threat the entire time. There has to be more to his game than just being a guy that bombs it. Because as good as he shoots it, he does shoot it well. We know he doesn't have uh, the same ability to pick up pucks and shoot them the way Ovechkin does, which mm-hmm. obviously, I mean, the best goal scorer of all time. But his his radius to get a shot off is massive. It's ridiculous. And Patterson's is a lot thinner. A lot fine. Like, for Patterson, you need to feed the puck, not perfectly, but it needs to be within a very specific frame Otherwise, he's not going to get that shot off. Mm-hmm. You know, so when when you do that, what that what that does to me is you're limiting already how many shots you can get off from there, and then it becomes very predictable. So how do you move him around but still have the one time threat there as well? Sat's in mid season form. Does Sat even want to be here? Be there? Uh, <laughs> What's this all about? <laughs> that one's from Krez, who says, uh, "Bick, how did you enjoy your Labor Day weekend?" Oh, Which, right. No, I mean it, it sucked. Chelsea lost in Nottingham Forest. And um, you know what? I'm not doing that right now. I'm not doing that right now. I don't know. Uh, 650, 650. I don't want to do that. Right uh, I'm good. <laughs> do you want to talk about this now? Because we were going to touch on this in a bit or, or down the road. Uh, but we, we, we read a text about the cap management. Yes. Uh, but this next text is coming. Canucks don't have a cap issue with Pearson playing. Where is this narrative coming from? Just ridiculous coverage in this city. Oh, uh, uh, I mean, the narrative comes from people not doing enough math. Yeah. As simple as that. That's not to say the Canucks aren't going to be up against the cap, but the Canucks can... I mean, now, this gets iffy with Hoaglander, mm-hmm. and especially waivers and all that stuff, but there's an easy solution. If Hoaglander is not good enough, he goes down... You go, you send down one of the eight defensemen and one of the extra forwards, and you go with 20, 21 players, and you mm-hmm. can have a little bit of cap space. You can do that. Like They don't need to make a trade to activate Pearson. They don't need to make a trade. They may have to send somebody down they don't want to send down to There's activate There's a non-ideal Pearson. reality that exists. If Pearson's healthy yes. and ready to play, there's a non-ideal way to make it work. Yes. But, I mean, if they really wanted to, they could prevent any of their top guys to be exposed from waivers and go with 20 players, 20 skaters. And Mm -hmm. it's very tight because then you don't have any extra forwards. And if injuries happen, you're in a tough spot. But there are ways for you to be cap compliant on day one and activate Pearson without having to trade anybody or lose somebody you really don't want to lose on waivers. Like there is that possibility. It's it's just really putting yourself in a rock. It is. It is, right? The other thing I would say is Pearson is going to have to be medically cleared on training camp. Mm Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, just because a player gets cleared doesn't mean he can be activated if you don't have the cap space. So there is a world where 
the Canucks simply don't activate Tanner Pearson up until like a few weeks into the season, depending on what happens. Like there is that possibility that exists as well, depending on what his status is like and what happens. But I would say everyone needs to relax a little bit. You don't have to necessarily cut your nose off to get Pearson activated. That's what I would say. All right. Uh, we'll keep the conversation going. Keep your texts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. We'll switch our sights to baseball. The Mariners have kept things going, and the Toronto Blue Jays are trying to get hot at the right time. We'll talk to Dan Schulman next on The People Show. Follow us on social at Sportsnet650 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok for the latest sports news and behind-the-scenes views. Sportsnet650, the official home of the Canucks. At Real Canadian Superstore, we know back-to-school means remembering things, like new names. Luckily, we got no-name sandwich bags, juice, and peanut butter all on sale now. No-name, great price, easy to remember. Offer ends September 6th. Backcountry skiing has become incredibly popular. At the destination in North Vancouver, we've always been known for boot fitting, and that's taken us to having one of the largest selections of backcountry boots in B.C. Scarpa, Dinafit, Full Tilt, Technica, and more are chosen to allow the best possible match to your feet and the type of backcountry you want to enjoy. (laughs) Yes, there's more than one way to skin a mountain. I'm Paul Zirk of The Destination, inviting you to book an appointment on thedestination.ca. Get in early and catch a deal on last year's gear. Oh no, I can't be out of ink. Not now. Megatank. Why do I do this to myself? Ah, what's that printer that comes with 30 times the ink? Megatank. Yes, it's a Canon. Mega phone? Megatank. It's a Canon printer. It comes with like two grand worth of ink. Prints me over 7,700 color pages. Megatank. Megawatt? Listen to the voice in your head and get a Canon Megatank printer so you don't have to think about ink for a long, long time. Visit canon.ca slash megatank for details. Twist up your snack time with Tim's new savory twists. Served warm in four cheese or everything seasoning. They're a buttery and flaky pastry and freshly baked throughout the day. So grab and go with Tim's new savory twists today at participating restaurants in Canada. Ray Maliazzi here for eBay Motors. So you ordered a new air filter for your car. You try to install it, but it doesn't fit. So you take a little bit off the sides. What still doesn't fit? Well, you could try to sit on it. Or just go to eBay Motors and get it right the first time. When you see the green check, you know that part's going to fit. Air filters, brakes, headlights. eBay Motors has millions of parts. Get the right parts at the right prices. eBay Motors, let's ride. Owie Mandel here. If you've got talent, then I'm going to give you a million reasons why you should apply for next season of Canada's Got Talent. The winner will receive one million dollars. See what I did there? One million dollars. That's the biggest cash prize in Canadian television history. And it's all thanks to Rogers. Applications close soon, so if you've got a million dollar act, apply now at citytv.com. Boy, I'm good at commercials, aren't I? Professionals know that you win the game by taking care of the details. Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Douglas Lake Equipment and Avenue Machinery let you be a champion on the work site. Now, Douglas Lake Equipment and Avenue Machinery want you to master your own property with the Kubota BX23 subcompact tractor. Dig, mow, and move with the Kubota quality you'd expect. Find Kubota at Douglas Lake Equipment and Avenue Machinery together online at DLEAMC.com. 
October 19th and 20th is the BC Construction Health and Safety Conference, an on-site trade show. Featured keynote speakers Eric Termunde and health and productivity expert Michelle Cedarberg. Two days of learning and excellent networking opportunities at the Pinnacle Harborfront Hotel in Vancouver. All of this with breakfast and lunch included for just $375 plus GST. Proudly sponsored by Peak Construction Group, Aveta, and Vancouver ReadyMix. Register now at bccsaconference.ca. Hey, Sportsnet. Hey, Sportsnet. Hey, the Blue Jays have something going on. Whether you're watching or listening, Sportsnet has the Blue Jays covered all season long. The swing and a miss. The balance in this lineup is remarkable. Hazel May, where can fans watch the game? Sportsnet, home of the Blue Jays. Holy smokes, did he hit that one. Want to listen to the game? They are firing all cylinders now. Listen live on Sportsnet 650. For everything Blue Jays, watch and listen live on Sportsnet. Hey, it's the Moj. It's just not in the world of sports where having a great roster is important. That's why the West Coast Auto Group has built an all-star roster around their stars. West Coast Toyota, Mazda, Nissan, Kia, and Ford Lincoln get all the headlines. But great defense and role players are just as important. And that's where their famous service comes in. Great service, great selection, great squad. The West Coast Auto Group, just over the bridge in Maple Ridge and at westcoastautogroup.com. We are your home for the Canadians. Rio swung up. Center field deep. No doubt about this one. This game is tied. Sportsnet 650. Back in on the People Show, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the work site. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. It's Satin Bick on the People Show, and now we're joined by the Golden Voice, the man you hear calling Blue Jays game, baseball games, college basketball, and also Canada punching its ticket to the Olympics. The one and only Dan Schulman joins us. And Dan, we'll talk about baseball coming up in a second with the Blue Jays, but number one, thanks for joining us. Hope summer's been great. But what a nice uh, present almost at the end of summer, being able to call the Canada basketball games on Sportsnet, but also seeing Canada punch its ticket back to the Olympics again. How much fun was that? Uh, it's been great. Thank you for all the kind words. And yes, summer's been great. And, and this is great for people from coast to coast who have been, you know, hoping for this for a long time. And, and you know, I think a lot of people kind of casually follow the program and, you know, might have had in their heads, oh, the guys never show up and Victoria didn't go well and they'll find a way to lose. And, you know, they punched through every narrative um, that had existed and they did it against Spain, you know, which, as I said, during the telecast is as proud a basketball nation um, as there is on the planet to, to beat France when they were trailing to beat Latvia, when they were trailing to lose to Brazil, to put them in a must win situation to be down 10 and come back to be down 12 later and come back again. Um, honestly, guys, it, it's the, it's one of the most exciting things I've ever been a part of one of the most exciting games in any sport in any for any network in any country that I that I've ever been a part of I thought it was just fabulous we can go through a couple of the games and, and preview Slovenia as well but just to, to, to punch the ticket and just for the program in general just kind of I, I feel like settle some nerves now and, and really start to look ahead and, and obviously look you don't want to do what you can versus Slovenia but what is it going to mean for the program to kind of have this one tucked away already yeah, it's enormous. I, I can't. I'm glad you asked me that question because I can't make this next point strongly enough. If they had lost, they would have had to have gone to one of the last chance, chance tournaments, right? Like the one they did in Victoria, 
whatever it was, two, two and a half, you know, two and a bit years ago. So then you're asking players, can you give us, say, three weeks for the last chance tournament? And if we qualify, then it's another two, three weeks mm-hmm. before the Olympics. Now you're asking for seven or eight weeks. Um, you're asking guys to give up their entire summer, two, season, uh, two summers in a row, two years in a row. The fact that they have qualified, firstly, again, all of the baggage, all of the emotional baggage is gone. And now you're, I think the Olympics start July 26th, I believe. Now you're saying, okay, guys, we're going to meet July 5th. I'm just making up the date, but we're going to meet July 5th. If, if they had had to go to qualify somewhere, first of all, it wouldn't have been in Canada again. I don't believe like they, they played that card. Um, so now you're saying instead of July 5th, can you come join us June 12th? or something like that. Now, if your team, if you're an NBA player and your team makes the second round of the playoffs and you get knocked out, are you going? Maybe not, right? So um, on an emotional level, on a psychological level, on a physical level, logistical level, on every level, this was beyond enormous for Canada to do it. So just, you, you know, it's, it's incredible on, uh, in so many different ways. It truly is. And, you know, last time Canada made the Olympics, it was really on the back of Steve Nash being extraordinary for the team. And this squad is obviously more deep in talent with NBA level players. But what Shea Gilgis Alexander did against Spain and what he's done this entire tournament, especially late in that fourth quarter, the big shots made knocking down those free throws late as well. I mean, I know sometimes we get carried away talking about superstar players, but when Shea Gilgis plays that way, I mean, we're talking about a top 10 player in the NBA potentially. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he was first team all NBA last year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, according to the voters last year, he was one of the best five players uh, in the league. And, and, and I've always felt and, uh, you know, doing the games with Alvin Williams, um, he and I've talked about this a lot. And it's been interesting for me to do games with an NBA guy who's never really he's never called FIBA games before. But I've said a few things to him, just opinions from having watched a lot of FIBA. And I said, I think a 40-minute FIBA game is more physically demanding than a 48-minute NBA game and more mentally demanding because the style is different and the crowds can be different and the officiating can be different. And, and his eyes are wide open after a few games of this, um, and, and he agrees. And I think what Shea Gilchis Alexander has done has been remarkable. Uh, he played so – I think he played 37 minutes, if I'm not mistaken, 36 and change in the win over Spain – and is getting bumped around and knocked around like crazy and steps to the line and makes the free throws and the step-back jumper and just an incredible, incredible performance. They couldn't afford to sit him very much. He sat two minutes in the first half and a minute and a bit in the second half, and they have needed him to be their best player. He is their best player. Like, for years, this program was led by Corey Joseph and then Tristan Thompson and Kelly Olenek and Dwight Powell have been great, but there's no doubt who the best player on this team is. And it's Shea Gilgis Alexander. And, and if he had been 2%, not as good as he has been, uh, we're having a very different conversation. I think today and he's had help, obviously Dylan Brooks and, and Nikhil Alexander Walker and Olenek and Powell, we can talk about all of them. Um, but Shea has been remarkable. He's the face of the program. He's the head recruiter. He's the best player. And he's the guy you want with the ball in his hands in the last minute. Part of the the excitement for so many basketball fans is is already seeing hey Paris and Jamal and Shea what that going to look like. Now you just mentioned like hey the, the, this guy's the face of the team. One guy's lifted an, an NBA trophy before, but 
that's the excitement, I think, for a lot of people is saying, hey, th- th- this is still going to get better. Hopefully. Uh, I, I don't think I, – I myself am not getting too far ahead. Like, I've seen some things on Twitter with, you know, you add Murray and you add Wiggins, and it's, <laughs> and, and it's right, it's a totally yeah. different 12-man team. I, um, we don't know, right? If Denver wins the title again, we don't know. Guys can get hurt, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that cost Murray a couple of years ago. He tore mm-hmm. his ACL. So – my guess, and it's just my guess, and honestly, I have spent very, very little time, very little, very little energy worrying about it yet, is if everybody is available, um, a couple of changes. You know, if Jamal Murray wants to play, Jamal Murray's going to play. But I think people need to understand, if you go back a couple of years, Canada basketball asked players for a commitment, a three-year commitment, and 14 players sat down and signed a contract. Jamal Murray was one of those players. He was at training camp this year mm-hmm. for several days. Um, even the year before when he tore the ACL, he showed up at training camp. Obviously, he didn't go through the drills or anything, but he showed up at training camp. He was there in the seats at a couple of games. It was his way of saying, I want to be a part of the program. So I think the signs are positive towards um, Jamal Murray being a part of this. Um, but again, if Denver wins the title again, who knows? I, I hope he's still a part of this. And, and to me, that's an easy, you know, you put him in and somebody who's on the roster now wouldn't be on the roster, which is the understanding of everybody on the roster. They had more than 12 guys commit. They had 14 guys sign contracts and they had 18 players show up for training camp this year. Andrew Wiggins is in a different situation. I'm not saying he will or he won't. He can or he can't. He did not sign the contract. He did not make the three-year commitment. Trey Lyles did not make the three-year commitment. So I don't know what Canada's Canada basketball stance would be on those guys because they've asked players to commit to them, and 18 of them did, 14 signing the contract. And then, you know, the Phil Scrubs and the Melvin Edgems and these guys who have played all over the world for Canada and who have played and given them some good minutes off the bench in this tournament. So Canada basketball asked for a commitment from those guys. So do they feel, well, we've got to honor the commitments on our end, too. We're not going to bring in a guy who didn't sign the three-year contract. We're going to stick with the guys who did. I don't know the answer to that. And uh, I think it's probably still a little premature. I totally get why people are saying, if you put in this guy, Andrew Nemhart and Benedict Matherin and Shaden Sharp and all these guys who are in the NBA, but they were in college or maybe not even in college in Sharp's case, when players were signing these contracts a couple of years ago, I don't know what Canada basketball stance will be on that. It's all very, very exciting, but I think it'll become clear over the next, you know, over the winter and into next spring. Right now, they've qualified. That's wonderful. And, you know, over the next week, it's going to be be about trying to get the best placement they can get at the World Cup. No, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's always easy, and I'm, I've been guilty of this, too. Being like, well, you put more players together, the team's going to be better. But especially these tournaments, it's about chemistry. It's about having roles right. and how play, players come together. So it's it's more complicated than that. But, you know, as far as what Canada has to do coming up tomorrow, hey, on, on paper, you can look at Slovenia's team outside of one player and say, hey, Canada has an edge. But the one guy they have, Luka Doncic, might be as hard as anybody to knock out. We saw him last year, not this past playoffs, but the playoffs before, what he did to the Phoenix Suns on his own, essentially. I know he has some good teammates, but as good as Canada's been, what type of challenge is it going to be to try and knock off Slovenia led by Luka Doncic? Every game's a challenge, right? I mean, Brazil should have been a, a fairly easy win, mm-hmm. and they lost. So, you, you know, on, on, any, on, on one, this isn't a four out of seven. This is a survive in advance, right? So... Um, I will say this for people who don't know, Slovenia finished fourth at the Olympics two years ago. 
with much the same team that they have right now. And in the semifinal against France, only a Nicolas Batum block at the buzzer prevented them from beating France, and they would have gone to the gold medal game against the United States. So this is this program is no joke. Um, obviously, Luca is the dominant player, and he's the only current NBA player on this team. Um, to me, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is as good a player as Luka Doncic is. Um, so, uh, but on any given day, you know, one guy could outplay the other. I think Canada's got a couple of advantages here. So a few advantages, actually. I, I feel good about Canada's chances going into this game. Slovenia does not have a guy like Iago Santos of Brazil, this incredibly quick point guard who can break people down, get into the paint, either finish or kick out to shooters. There's not a whole lot of breaking people down off the dribble for Slovenia. Uh, And they are a good passing team, but I don't think they're France, and I don't think they're Latvia in terms of how they pass. They're really good, and and they could win this game. But I think after Luka, it's just... You know, a number of pretty good players um, who can have big days, but there's no, like, second guy on this team where you go, whoa, he's a problem. Um, They do have one guy, Clement Prepolich, who's got, like, 30-foot range from three. But the Canadian defenders are going to know that, obviously. you got to get out on him and make him put the ball on the floor. Another advantage I think Canada has is, as good as Luca is, Canada's got Dylan Brooks and Lou Dort. And I wouldn't expect Shea to cover Luca very much. He will probably every now and again, and he'll get switched on to him every now and again if they're running all kinds of stuff and Canada's switching on the perimeter. But when you've got Dylan Brooks, assuming he can stay out of foul trouble, and you've got Lou Dort, and you've got Nikhil Alexander-Walker, you've got a bunch of guys. You can throw a lot of different guys at Luka Doncic, and I expect that's what Jordy Fernandez is going to do. Yeah, and we're excited for the game tomorrow. 5.30 Pacific time, games on Sportsnet. And, uh, you know, while we have you on, we have to ask you a couple of questions about the Blue Jays. I know you've been focused uh, on Canada at, at the FIBA World Championship, but the Blue Jays have won two in a row, but they're still kind of trailing in this wild card race, uh, being half a game back at the Texas Rangers at the moment. They are playing the, the Oakland Athletics later today, uh, continuing their series in Oakland against the A's. What do you make of the second half Blue Jays team and, and how they've kind of gone about their business the past month or so um I, I think they're doing all right i mean this stretch they're in now where they're playing these teams that aren't very good like they're winning more there than they're losing but um two out of three against washington two out of three in colorado you know it'd be nice if one of those had been a sweep just an extra win here an extra win there they lost two out of three to cleveland recently in toronto so like they're doing fine but they might have to be a little bit better than fine to make mm-hmm. the playoffs. Now, it should be mentioned, Bo Bichette, Matt Chapman, Danny Jansen on the I.L. Brandon Belt hasn't played the last couple of games. Eric Swanson's on the I.L. Like, they got some stuff going on. Um, and these guys who have come up from Buffalo have, you know, potentially saved their season. Davis Schneider and now more recently Ernie Clement and Spencer Horowitz. They've all done great. Like, not well, great. Uh, and those guys are a huge reason why the Blue Jays have actually made up some ground on Houston and Texas. So I think they're in a pretty good spot. Texas is kind of in a free fall right now, but that can change, you know, at a, at a, at a moment's notice. But the Blue Jays still have two more against Oakland, three against Kansas City. So hopefully they can continue to pick up some ground, maybe past Texas. Um, the Blue Jays have the tiebreaker on Houston, and tiebreakers could be huge. There's no one-game playoffs anymore. They have the tiebreaker on Houston. If they can take three out of four from Texas next week in Toronto – And that's not easy, but if they can take three out of four 
they'll have the tiebreaker on Texas as well. So um, it's going pretty well. But, you know, a slip up, you lose the next two to Oakland or you lose two out of three to Kansas City or something like that, that could be fatal for their chances. So they're walking a very, very fine line. Um, but hopefully they sweep this series against Oakland. Hopefully Bo Bichette's back Friday. He's eligible. So hopefully he's back then. And uh, it's not going to be easy. But, you know, it's all still in front of them. They still control their own destiny in terms of getting into the playoffs. You referenced the kind of squeaky wins here uh, against the Rockies and against the A's, going to the extras and ninth inning, uh, go-ahead pushes, leads. But... Are they in a stage right now where just win by any means that I, I think we get too focused that it has to look a certain way with with a handful of games left? Is, is it just, hey, just chalk out these W's in any which way you can right now? Oh, yeah. You'd, lo- you, you'd rather an ugly win than a beautiful loss at this point. So yeah. there, there are no style points when you look at tiebreakers and playoff spots. But I think it's indicative of the fact that they're not clicking on all cylinders. They're actually scoring a lot of runs right now. I think they've scored... I'm not 100% sure because, as you said, I've been really focused on the basketball. But I think they've scored 40 runs in their last five games. Like, you should win a, a lot of those yeah. if you're, if you're going to score 40. But I think they're only 3-2 and two in those five games. So, you know, it, it's one of those. Now the offense seems to be going, but the pitching has had some hiccups recently. And, and it's funny. I've tried, you know, I've tried to watch as much as I can here and there. Even the 40 runs in five games, like the one game they lost in Colorado, they lost 8-7. to seven. Mm-hmm. They should have scored about 16 runs in that game. Like, that was the game, bases loaded double play, Vladdy hits into two double plays, Kirk hit into a double play. They load the bases in the ninth, they can't get the tying run home, um, that, that sort of thing. So, e- even a game where they scored a lot, it felt like they should have scored more. So, um yeah, you just want the wins. Like, at the end of the day, that's all that matters is, is what the standings say. But I think it's indicative of the fact that they they still could be playing a little bit better, that they're still not quite maxing out on their chances. Like, you go into Colorado, you should score a ton of runs. And they and they did pretty well. But they, they should have, in my opinion, they you know, that was a game, too. Ernie Clement, who's been great at short, makes two errors in one game. Other than that, he's been spotless. But he makes two errors that leads to four runs, and they they lose eight seven. So um, they they've got to play well the rest of the way. Catch the ball, drive in the runs that should be driven in. You know, runner with third less than two out. Make sure you're getting that guy home, et cetera, et cetera. Um, again, it's all there in front of them. It continues tonight against Oakland, and uh, hopefully by the time Texas gets to town, which I'm I'm all mixed up on days. Uh, but I think it's Monday, I believe. Yeah, it's a four-game series starting uh, Monday. Hopefully by the time Texas gets to town on Monday, the Blue Jays are ahead of them in the standings. So let's say that they get in, right? Let's just assume that happens. Long way still to do that, but let's say they get in. I've been kind of making the point that they they do feel weirdly designed to have success in the postseason, given the pitching, given the defense. It's not, you know, you can clear the decks and say 91, 92 wins is done with. Now we just have to focus on moving forward. Are they set up to win in the postseason? I think I think they're dangerous for sure. And, and you know, from the Giants to the Nationals to the Braves to uh, the Phillies, a bunch of teams have had a lot of success in the playoffs recently where you looked at them in the regular season and said, I, I don't see it. Like, they're just not – you know, but you, teams can get hot, right? It, and the regular season is a much truer test of a team's – production and performance than the playoffs it's just it's just kind of math it's like mm-hmm. the basketball if canada was playing brazil four out of seven canada wins but in a one game who knows so in a short series in baseball two out of three three out of five four out of seven 
that's not as indicative as uh, a, a team's ability, I don't think, as uh, a regular season. You've got more off days, so you can hide some of your flaws, fit starter, that sort of thing. But, yeah, I think they are potentially dangerous because their pitching staff is so deep. Um, you know, Hyunjin Ryu is their number five starter right now. He might not even be on a playoff roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and if you're throwing out Gosman, Barrios, Bassett, Kikuchi, that's pretty good. You know, maybe another, the other team has a, a bona fide ace, but do they have a two, three, and four as good as the Blue Jays? Two, three, and four. And and the bullpen is deeper right now. Swanson will come back. Chad Green has been added. Genesis Cabrera has been very good. It's a very deep bullpen. It, it kind of comes down to, it feels like what it's you know been talked about so much this season. Will they hit enough? Yeah. You know, and could Vladdy go nuts for three weeks? Sure, he could. Could Bo Bichette go nuts? Sure, he could. Um, could Davis Schneider and Spencer Horowitz become really, really important guys in the playoffs? Sure, they could. Like they're impressive. I, I think. By the way, I think Spencer Horowitz is great. Mm-hmm. Like uh, is going to have a really nice long major league career. I hope the Blue Jays feel that way too, and that he does it with the Blue Jays. So. Um, there's, there's a ton of potential on this team. You know, you know, there's more than they've shown this year, but they're, they're amazingly enough on September, the, whatever it is today, fourth, uh, they're fifth, they're still figuring stuff out, stuff out. Um, and if they can get in, I think they've got a nice player pool to choose from when they put a playoff roster together. He is Dan Schulman. You often hear him calling Blue Jays games, but also Canada at the FIBA World Championship. Dan, it's always a pleasure uh, chatting sports with you, especially right now. Continue the great work at the FIBA Worlds, and hopefully we'll be chatting with you again very soon. All right, guys. Thanks. Have a good one. You as well. That is Dan Schulman. And, you know, on the Blue Jays, uh, we talked about them quite a bit last week as well. And, you know, they won a couple in a row, now half a game back of Texas in the wild card spot. They are, you know, getting a little closer now, right? And they have a real chance here to get in. But it is pretty remarkable how good their starting pitching has been this season. And that's with Alec Manoa, who was their ace last (laughs) season, being an absolute train wreck. And he's not even expected to come back this year with the Blue Jays. I mean, if I would have told you earlier, before the season began that that Alec Manoa was going to be a non-factor. I think most would have said, oh, that's going to spell real trouble for the Blue Jays. But remarkably, they still have one of the best starting rotations in baseball. And like you mentioned, Dan, right now, Hinjin Ryu, who's come back since his injury and been fantastic as well, he's their fifth starter. I mean, they they have more than enough pitching in the bullpen and a starting rotation. It would be an absolute crime if this team doesn't make the playoffs with that type of pitching staff. Given the investment over handful of years yeah. five six years into the bats you would say hey the bats are not going to be a problem this year been a problem <laughs> they've been a problem and that's the thing i imagine that's so frustrating it's not as if that they didn't put time and effort into those mm-hmm. there's a lot of un- underperforming players uh right now you you went on last week i went uh, on a rant on the jays yes. don't need to rehash it but and davis sanchez not playing yesterday because they didn't think his analytics uh stacked up against the oakland a's you should have seen the smoke coming out of my ears yesterday afternoon when i heard about that just get hits right now man. hey they're winning so i want to shut up you know what i mean i'm gonna do you won you know you won the game it's yeah. okay you're winning you're getting closer again it's okay again, but when you get man, to don't like the outsmart business yourself end, don't outsmart yourself like obviously there's just frustrations but you do have to kind of just go whoo yeah. deep exhale and say okay look a win's a win's a win one and oh today yeah and just move on to the next one because it, it it's tense right now but i i care less about the the aesthetics of it right now as much as they are just chalking up w's now i i don't know if they're gonna have enough to get there i know dan yeah was talking like hey you go three or four against texas all this you, you control your own destiny absolutely but like the, the margin of error is 
nil. Uh, it, it's very small. I mean, because the Jays just have had such a hard time scoring runs. So yesterday, the narrative was, well, it's, it's the A's. They're pretty much a triple A team. You don't need your best players anyway. You should be able to win this mm-hmm. game. I mean, hey, and they had a big 10th tenth, uh, inning, right? And they scored a bunch of runs. And then the A's in the bottom of the 10th scored two runs and made it 6-5. And it was like, oh, you're going to white-knuckle this again, right? So it's like, it's very stressful. But to your point, all that matters is winning games. And we'll have the Blue Jays game against the A's on our airwaves tonight. But before that... It's the Mariners against Tampa. So for those saying, where is the Mariners coverage? As soon as this show ends, you're going straight into Mariners pregame. They're playing uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. That's coming up a bit later on the show. And we got the Mariners covered. we got the Seahawks covered. we got everything covered, man. Yeah. The home of the Pacific Northwest. Northwest. All right. By the way, tomorrow, too, Jays in Oakland. That's a nooner. Yeah. So we'll have that one. Then we got the Mariners right after. We're not yeah. on tomorrow. We're not working tomorrow. We're going to yeah. be watching baseball all day tomorrow and getting up early Plus to watch we'll basketball. Plus, the is late, too. And wake up early to watch basketball tomorrow yeah. as well and go play golf. That's my plan for tomorrow. I'm very excited. Are you uh, golfing tomorrow? I am golfing tomorrow. I'm golfing with, with that coward behind the glass, Josh Elliott. <laughs> Let's <Wolf>. go golfing. <laughs> Going uh, with, golf, with Dan and Josh tomorrow. So, jo- Josh, are you retiring from kicking field goals? And you're just like, you know what? I'll pick up the sticks again. <laughs> this is directly related to training for field goals. Oh, okay. Working out the working out the lanes. Right. I saw Reach posted a we, we have to go to break but i saw reach posted a picture where he almost hit a hole in one. Oh, i man. was with him oh it wow. was like insanely close it looked like it was going in from the tee box he almost did it did he, he almost did it man and man. then he just that he, that was his that's best a big let down in the tee box we're like oh my oh yeah well i was already getting ready to like run towards the right. hole we do a steph curry thing just run straight across yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, great stuff. Um, keep your comments coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Next, we'll talk some football. Mark Schofield right here on The People Show. Hour two of... The People Show, coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. People Show, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at D-L-E-A-M-C.com. When you hear this man's voice, that's when you know it's real. Football season is upon us. Let's talk to our guy. At Mark Schofield on Twitter. You've been hearing him for years here on uh, Sportsnet 650, uh, covering the NFL and F1 uh, for SB Nation. Mark, how are you? I am doing well, Bick. Sad it is great to be here. It is a fantastic week because we have games that actually count in the NFL. We're coming off a fantastic college football weekend as well. It is a tremendous time of year. It is a tremendous time as you find gentlemen as always. Well, and you know, Mark, uh, because like our shows have changed the past couple of years, like I've been very much on the Canucks show, especially during football season. So I never get a chance to have you on. That's geeked with you. up today, like, Mark. I, I was so excited today because yesterday we we're putting a show together. Josh sent sent the guest list in, and Big mentioned that you're going to be on as well. And I've been giddy with anticipation for 24 hours. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> oh, I am I am touched, and I got to say, when I heard that you were going to be on as well. I was I was very excited to I was very excited to see your name alongside Bix when when Josh reached out. Um, it's been far too long, my friend, but yes. I am very very excited. I am geeked as well. Hey, you mentioned the uh, college football weekend. Um, there were some fantastic quarterbacks that already I can imagine twenty twenty four draft coverage is just going to be out of control because some teams are probably just going to be salivating over themselves after the first weekend. 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I, I think, look, if you are somebody that this show is local for, you know, out there sort of West Coast Pacific time, mm-hmm. you're very excited because the Pac-12 right now is going to be must-watch in terms of quarterback play. I mean, everybody knows certainly Caleb Williams. We saw Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr. as well. But you look at what Colorado did against TCU and Shadur Sanders. You know, if you didn't know about him and his game, if you didn't know about Travis Hunter before Saturday, you certainly know now. I mean, that was – I had some people that I've talked to sort of compare that to when App State beat Michigan, a sort of – seismic event in the college football landscape seeing what Colorado did to TCU and now you know a lot of people questioned whether Colorado because of their schedule was going to be able to you know win more than say four or five games they looked legit on Saturday and Sanders certainly looked tremendous and Travis Hunter played some like 111 plays on both sides of the ball you look at UCLA you know with Dante Moore who they had flipped from Oregon you know late in the sort of recruiting cycle He's already seen his first snaps for the Bruins. You look at DJU up at, Col- up at Oregon State, especially with the way what happened with Clemson last night. And so this is going to be a fantastic quarterback class to study. You know, the names of the top, Caleb Williams and Drake May, the battle for QB3 is real. Riley Leonard, Michael Pratt, there was tremendous quarterback play. And it's already led some to wonder because of the potential depth of this next quarterback class. Do we see a couple of players say, you know what? I'll stick around campus. I've got more eligibility. Why am I going to fight maybe for QB3, QB4, QB5 when I could stick around and maybe be QB2, QB1 next year? And so it'll be interesting to see that play out. Obviously, a lot of football left. There's a long way to go before we start making those declarations, but this looks like it could be a fantastic class. Well, as far as the rookie quarterbacks in this year's class, I mean, three starters this year, Anthony Richardson for the Colts, uh, Bryce Young uh, with the Panthers, and C.J. Stroud with the Houston uh, Texans. Which of these rookie quarterbacks do you think are best positioned to have success this season? Yeah, it's a fascinating question, Sada. I think you can make a a case for all three. We could start with Houston. You know, when you look at C.J. Stroud, his game, his mental approach, his accuracy, and some of the additions that they've made both up front in Houston and at the sort of skill position spots, Tank Dell, for example, getting John Mechie after he missed last year with the illness, with the leukemia diagnosis before his rookie season, getting him back is going to be big. I think Houston has put some talent around the quarterback position. I think when you look at Carolina, I've been saying this for a while, you know, before they traded up to one, you know, when they were still sitting at nine in the first round and it looked like maybe that was where Will Levis might fall or maybe an Anthony Richardson, I would make the case that because of the coaching talent and experience and experience in particular with quarterback development that they have around the quarterback there in Carolina, Frank Reich, who was part of the you know group that developed Carson Wentz, turned him in from a, you know, intriguing first round pick to a Super Bowl, you know, MVP level quarterback in his second season. You know, some of the other names in that coaching staff that look, Bryce Young is in a very good position as a result of that. But I think the player that is perhaps in the best spot is Anthony Richardson, you know, because Dick and I have talked about this over the summer, that idea of proof of concept, right? You look at what Shane Steichen did and how he developed Jalen Hurts over their two years together, you know, turning them in from a run first, run oriented quarterback in that, you know, in Hurts' second year in the NFL when they made the wild card to what they did last year and turning them into an MVP candidate, turning them into, for a brief period of time, the highest paid player in NFL history, the 
pocket movement and development that you saw was built on the foundation of what they did together in that first year, which is what I think you're going to see a lot of the Colts this year, which is a lot of QB run elements, you know, a lot of design throws, you know, some some half field reads and concepts like that that are going to sort of give Richardson the ability to make quick decisions and sort of just read one half of the field, whether it's man side versus zone side or, you know, covered side or something like that. And that's going to set up the foundation for what I expect to be a big leap next year. And so I think you can make a case for all three being in a good environment, but I think because we have that sort of proof of concept of what Shane Steichen did with Hertz, that I think Richardson is in, a, in the best environment of the three to have success early on. Okay, Mark, I've been waiting to ask you this about uh, three weeks, and, and we've had this conversation on the show, and, and people have texted in saying I'm crazy. Um, if Brock Purdy was not on the 49ers, how many teams could he legitimately start for? Man, I mean, that's that's an interesting question. And the fact of the you sighed is a great sign for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you look at the way they have structured that offense, that roster, you know, when you look at what they've put in place in San Francisco, I've described it many times before as a sort of QB agnostic offense and roster, you know, because we've seen them have success with Jimmy Garoppolo. We've seen them have success even limited action with Trey Lance. And obviously what we saw from Brock Purdy last year, the talent around the quarterback position, the ability that Kyle Shanahan has at his disposal to roll out their 21 personnel package with juice check and, We'll say Christian McCaffrey as the running back, but the beauty of that roster is you might see Debo at tailback at times and McCaffrey in the slot. They might flip the two. You might see Juszczyk in the slot and Debo and McCaffrey in the backfield. It's very difficult for opposing defensive coordinators and opposing defenses to figure out from a matchup standpoint. That's why I sort of describe it as QB agnostic. They can mm-hmm. do so much different stuff that it makes the life easier for the quarterback in that system. And when you start looking around the rest of the league, well, you know, I think you could make a case that maybe if he's in Atlanta, maybe he'd be a fit for that offense and what they're doing with Arthur Smith. You know, maybe, you know, it might pain me to say this, but a uh, Mac Jones, Brock Purdy quarterback competition would be interesting. Uh, if you threw him into the mix in Tampa, maybe he wins that job over Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask. But I think he's just found himself, and we just spent a couple of minutes here talking about situations, landing spots for quarterbacks. Brock Purdy found himself in the ideal landing spot, perhaps for any quarterback. And it's part of the reason why, you know, you can go back, you can pull up the, the tapes, you can pull up the audio. I love the Trey Lance fit because I thought it was a tremendous landing spot for the quarterback. Same applies for Brock Purdy. It's a tremendous landing spot for him where he's in the, this QB agnostic system, which creates such matches. Kyle Shanahan does such a tremendous job from a play calling standpoint where they might run the same play. 10 different times, but they get to it 10 different ways. And it's easy for the offense and it's easy for the quarterback, but it's so difficult for the defense because, again, it's the same play, but it's done so differently and you're thinking about different things. So to answer the question, I'm not sure if there's that many other teams he'd start for, but he's in the absolute right one to start for at this point in time. 
Well, and, and I think what's really fascinating too about that division in general, and just the NFC in general, is that uh, the the power, uh, the quarterback power rankings. I mean, very few of the top 10, 12 ones are in the NFC. They're mostly in the AFC. So when we start looking at AFC, uh, NFC quarterbacks and teams that can have a lot, lot of success, and the one team we look at very closely here is the Seattle Seahawks. How should the Seahawks feel about Geno Smith after the great year he had this past season? And you know, can he keep running up the ranks in terms of quarterbacks? And how good could he be in the NFC, comparatively speaking? I think he could be very good in the NFC. I think he could be very good in the NFL sort of writ large. And part of the reason for that is, you know, a a sort of stylistic thing. And it's something that, you know, I wrote about today as part of our big NFL preview at SB Nation. And there's going to be another piece on that later this week as well. It's something that myself and my colleague, J.P. Acosta at SB Nation are calling sort of the return of big boy football. I think you're going to see more teams lean into bigger personnel, two tight ends, three tight ends, two running backs like we just talked about with the 49ers, because for years the league has been emphasizing smaller, quicker, lighter, faster on both sides of the ball. Certainly offenses went first, defenses have been playing catch-up, and we've talked for years about how you know nickel with five defensive backs, sometimes dime with six, that's where you're in – that's where you're certainly focusing your personnel usage as a defense. You're playing with more five and six defensive back packages. And as we've seen over the past couple of years, we've seen more two high coverages as well. Teams are basically putting just four or five, sometimes six defenders in the box and say, go ahead and run the football. We don't mind if you do. We're happy if you do. We want to prevent the big play in the passing game. But last year was the first year in history where we had 4.5 yards per carry on rushing attempts, highest in league history. And it's been steadily ticking up over the past couple of years as we've seen defenses get smaller, get faster, get lighter to combat what offenses had been doing. Offenses are saying, you know what, you're down us to run the ball. Maybe we will if we're going to have some success with it. And so I think you might see more teams sort of lean into that heavier personnel. Now, how does that help Seattle? They were very effective throwing out of two and three tight end packages last year. So they've got that club in the back. But also when they want to go 11, they have a tremendous three wide receiver personnel package to do that with. Obviously, with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, that's two great, two great receivers out of the gate. Now you add JSN, a perfect complement to those three, those other two receivers. That's your 11 L personnel package right there. So you want to go 11, you can do that. You want to go 12 or 13, you did that last year, you can do it again. And then with respect to Geo, you look at the way he played the position last year. This wasn't smoke and mirrors propped up by you know, play action and scheme and stuff like that. There were moments when, yeah, certainly they did some of that. But when you see some of the throws and the reads and the decisions he made from the pocket, he was decisive. He was aggressive when he had to be. He put throws downfield in the passing game where they needed to be. And I know some people say, well, deep ball, it's kind of noisy. There's regression to the mean. Okay, well, now you add in JSN, you're going to stretch the team horizontally as well with what he can do working underneath, working out of the slot. And so you put those pieces together I think the recipe is there for the Seahawks and for Geno in particular to have a very good year. Last year, you know, I was big on Geno coming into last year. I was big on Daniel Jones coming into last year just because, you know, they, they had exciting coaching staffs they can problem solve for their, coach, for, for, for their QB. And I look at this year as, okay, who are some guys that are going to surprise us or tear jump? 
And, you know, I look for pillars, either good coaching staffs or good offensive lines. And I look at Jordan Love and I look at Kenny Pickett as those two guys. Kenny Pickett's got the great uh, coach there and Mike Tomlin, obviously defensive mind, but just the, a stable infrastructure and building around an, a, a, a player in Kenny Pickett. And Jordan Love, like I still th- look at, at uh, Green Bay and I say, like, th- this should be a top five pass blocking line. And the environment that's created for him is stable and safe that you can kind of grow into a season. Is it fair to say that like, these two guys are, Prime for breakout? Absolutely. And, you know, interestingly enough, we just did an SB Nation on today's Monday Football Monday show, which came out on Tuesday this week. We went through, we made our division picks, and I have both those teams actually in the playoffs as wildcard teams because of what I think we're going to see from those quarterbacks this year, because of a lot of reasons, what you said, with particular respect to the Green Bay Packers and that offensive line. I think they're going to protect Jordan Love. I know some people look at the playing time he had during preseason missed some throws, but the eyes were right. I think there were a couple of moments when he just sort of keyed up to see someone break out, but it just sort of gets so excited and missed the throw. There's one crossing round in particular in his first preseason game where anticipation throw over the middle, checks a lot of boxes, just got to hit it once the games count for real, and I think he will. But I'm very excited about the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I know they've become this sort of trendy pick in recent weeks. People talk about Kenny Pickett and the perfect preseason he had. But I just talked a lot about that return of big boy football. Well, Pittsburgh's built themselves the potentially perfect 12 personnel, two tight end package. Obviously, Pat Fryman is a one tight end, but when you add in Washington, massive rookie tight end out of Georgia, who for the Bulldogs was a sixth offensive lineman at a time, but it's also incredibly explosive and athletic. I know rookie tight ends are tough to rely on, but they're not going to ask him to do a lot in that offense, this sort of 12 personnel package they can build, because then you add in George Pickens, who's rounded out his game a little bit. One of his touchdowns of the preseason, a dig route over the middle, was very much outside the numbers and deep last year. But if he starts attacking the middle of the field as well, that will be huge for that offense. Allen Robinson, Deontay Washington, are adding other receiving pieces as well. And Kenny Pickett has certainly shown over the course of this preseason and training camp that he's taken a step forward too. And so I think those are two perfect sort of breakout candidates at the quarterback position. You know, another one that I would put in the mix, I'm still a believer in Justin Fields. This is certainly a critical year for him. You know, sort of year three, this is the quarterback leap year. We've seen it from Allen. We've seen it from Hertz. I know some of the numbers indicate that it might be tough for him to do that. But when you look at the way he can stress defenses with his legs, which is something we saw from Hertz in his second season, you start to fill in the pass game stuff around that, which is what we saw from Hertz in his third year. Does he make a similar leap? Probably not. That's a lot to ask, but I think he takes a big step forward this year. Staying on quarterbacks that uh, may jump a tier, this quarterback jumped a tier pretty big last year. That was Trevor Lawrence. And, you, you know, I always talk about how lin- uh, how progress is not always linear and you got to be careful with young quarterbacks. They're not going to continue to get better every single year. But I have a hard time f- thinking that Trevor Lawrence isn't going to get better this season. But how much better do you think he can be with that Jacksonville Jaguar squad that does look pretty formidable? They look to have a great team yet again and I think the influence of Calvin Ridley is going to be huge Mm -hmm. what he can do in the passing game what he can do as a receiver talking to people that were down at training camp that have seen that team at practice seen that team in preseason games they've described it as different the way he moves the way he separates his change of direction skills and all that stuff adds up to separation and we've talked over the years about how important it is for a quarterback when you have that receiver that can separate consistently, that can make 
you know, that out route a much easier throw because he gets an extra step on the defender that can make that corner route a much easier throw because they get an extra step and a half on a defender on that deeper route. And so having that added to this team, to this offense that took that step forward last year, it's going to be huge for Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, a lot of people have said, well, maybe maybe Tennessee can make some noise in that division. Maybe even, you know, one of the teams that were quarterbacks can make some noise. I look at Jacksonville and think, look, this is a very good football team with a quarterback that made a huge leap last year. Now he's adding Calvin Ridley. And that his ability to separate, that's going to be massive for this team. And so, yeah, I, I think that he's going to take a step forward this year. I think his team is going to take another step forward this year, and I'm expecting big things from Trevor Lawrence down in Jacksonville. Usually when we talk to you during the season, uh, we, we like to ask you two questions every week. Uh, your favorite throw of the week and your favorite matchup in the coming week. We don't have a throw to talk about, so I'll, I'll just ask you a general question. like Which quarterback are you excited personally to, to gauge the development or just whatever reason that you're excited for this guy this season? Non-Patrick Mahomes division, because I know you like to giggle every time he throws a ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, look, Patrick Mahomes is a chalky answer every <laughs> week. You know, whether it's best throw or best quarterback matchup, I'm excited for Packers Bears. I want to see Jordan Love, Justin Fields. I want to see those two. You know, am I right about Fields, or does he not take that step forward? I mean, we talked about sort of proof of concept, right, and plans and things like that. Certainly, the Bears are following that Eagles model. They want Justin Fields to take that step forward, like Jalen Hurts, but they also, you know, added a a first-round pick for next year. You know, they, they put themselves in this issue where if Fields doesn't take that step, maybe they can, you know, it's probably going to be tough to get to one because Caleb Williams looks like he's going to be a player that you're not going to want to trade out of and give up the opportunity to draft, but maybe they can get to two for a Drake May or high up the draft board for a quarterback that they like, provided Fields doesn't take that step forward. So I'm excited to see those two play. I am very excited to see Monday night. You know, I, I'm I'm still a believer in the Bills. Yeah. You know, obviously, they went through a traumatic end to their regular season, and I think it's important to give it that context when you start thinking about have the Bills have they missed their window. I'm very wary of that idea because I still think they're a very good team. But Aaron Rodgers on the other sideline, what does it look like in New York for Aaron Rodgers? That's a very good roster, young, talented, but six of their first eight games are against playoff teams from a year ago. The two non-playoff teams the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick, Denver Broncos at Denver, a very, very tough place to play. I want to see if, if Russell Wilson can figure it out. I want to see if Sean Payton can fix Russell Wilson, if Russell Wilson can sort of get back to where he used to be. So there's really no shortage of storylines. The last one I'll mention, Lamar Jackson or Todd Monken. I'm expecting huge things from Lamar Jackson this year. I'm going to be writing a book about that. It comes out, I think, tomorrow, maybe Thursday. But I'm expecting big things from Lamar Jackson and that offense. So, no shortage of quarterback storylines this year like every year. Well, we love talking to you every week, man. Uh, excited to uh, get it going again. Uh, the real game on Thursday, and then uh, we'll chat next week. Sounds great, my friends. Always a blast. We'll talk next week. Enjoy the game. That's uh, our guy, Mark Schofield, at Mark Schofield. He mentioned a couple of pieces he's working on. Go check him out on his Twitter page and uh, over at SB Nation. Covering the NFL. We always love chatting QBs with them. Also does a lot of F1 work as well. I know he was on the station a couple of times over the summer. Yeah. Chatting F1, uh, but uh, does great work. Uh, excited for NFL season. Yeah, hyped for here. NFL season. Yeah, really excited. And he mentioned the, the Bills and uh, I was going to say the Packers because Rogers Packers, but no, the New York Jets. Some pretty good quarterbacks. It's getting used to. It, it will take some getting used to. Just just quickly before we get out of here, I'll, I'll pose this to you because Mark's no, no longer on the line. 
first year quarterbacks with a new team the first year isn't always easy no matter how good you are but Tom Brady completely changed our perception of that when he went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Stafford, and, and Stafford yep. too because they both went in and they won Super Bowls they had so much success so how do we frame that with Aaron Rodgers this season because I guess a difference would be that foundationally or in terms of past success they weren't the Bucs and you can talk about the Bucs too but the Bucs had a pretty strong team that needed a quarterback and mm-hmm. they put him in Obviously, the, the Rams had been on the verge for many years with Sean McVay. But should we just assume it's going to be flawless or could it be problematic? Like I, I'm so like caught in between on the New York Jets because their talent is, is undeniable. And that defense can be really mean at times. It, it's not going to be flawless. But the way you overcome things is you have someone that's can mask a lot of issues. Yeah. And now... Aaron Rodgers is one of those guys that can mask a lot of issues. But the thing is, is like you mentioned L.A., you mentioned Tampa Bay. They didn't have to mask a lot of issues. They yeah. were just naturally talented. They had Andrew Whitworth at left tackle, good wide receivers. Cooper Cup has one of the best seasons we've seen. Yeah. It, Aaron Donald is one of the best football players we've seen this millennium. And that Bucks defense was ridiculous. The, the Bucks defense was loaded, a fantastic offensive line. Mike Evans, who gets 1,000 yards every yeah. season. So they had so many pieces. So... Again, there's flaws with the New York Jets. I've spent my time detailing them. The way to have success and the way you paint a picture, say, hey, we're going to overcome it because of this. This is you have a superhero at QB. Now, they have that. But it's also asking a lot to say, hey, cover up all these mistakes. Cover up all these potential flaws that might arise. And some of the problems, some of the flaws that might arise are created by... Aaron Rodgers mm-hmm. like they don't have that much wide receiver depth no they don't and you know what I, I've been watching hard knocks a bit this season because it's the Jets and Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers to get a sense and one thing I found interesting one of the episodes was um, it was Randall Cobb talking to the receivers and the receiving coach saying you guys are making a lot of mistakes and right now he's keeping his cool he's not saying much or whatever but he's not going to give you the ball if you if you don't stop making mistakes and eventually he's just going to narrow it down to one or two guys and that's right what now he always does that's what he does right so i mean one of the things i found interesting watching that show was their receiver room is very talented obviously guys like garrett wilson who's incredible and he brought some veterans in like lazard of course and they have some talent there obviously but it's very raw mm-hmm. and we've seen aaron Rodgers with raw receiving rooms and he'll end up just targeting one or two guys just click out on guys yeah so that's one thing I wonder about for a young team that needs confidence too in their offense. Like, you know, I wonder if they have their stuff together, so to speak. Uh, we'll get into more on the other side uh, and throughout the show. We're going until three thirty today. Uh, Mariners taking over at that time. Don Taylor, return of Donnie and Dolly uh, on Check TV, and uh, another appearance for Don Taylor here on our airwaves. Coming up here, People Show Sportsnet six fifty. <laughs> couple of texts coming into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, 650-650. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, Brendan G. Garrett Wilson at 1,200 yards with Zach Wilson and Mike White throwing the ball. And an unsigned text. Uh, Rogers brought in two Green Bay receivers. And Wilson, he can play with any quarterback. Look, Randall Cobb hasn't been good since 2015. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. now 2023. And hey, familiar faces. That's all well and good. You still need to put up, I don't know, 
700 yards maybe. Yeah. He's clipped 800 once since 2015. It's not great. And, yeah, Garrett Wilson's fantastic. I, I, I worry about the overall depth of that group. One weapon is not enough to carry you in today's NFL. Uh, on, unless your one weapon is like Don Taylor. The, then you yes. can carry anything. Uh, Donnie and Dolly back on your airwaves uh, with his partner, Rick Dollywall. Uh, but he joins us now uh, on the People's Show. Donnie, how are you? Very good. Of course, uh, when you're talking football, there was a Don Taylor who played for the BC Lions in the 80s. Uh, you can look it up. Wearing number 19, running back, Canadian. You know what the funny thing about that is? Uh, no, I'm, I'm sure you've heard it as well because I had somebody at my gym come up to me and ask me. He's like, you know Don Taylor? I'm like, yeah. He's like, did he actually play for the BC Lions? <laughs> <laughs> I, I swear to God, I was going to text you about this last week, but somebody yeah. literally asked me. He's like, you know Don Taylor? I'm like, yeah. He's like, did he play for the Lions? I didn't know he played yeah. for the Lions. I'm like, you may have the wrong Don Taylor in mind, but yes, Don Taylor is very athletic. Come on, Chet. You, you, you got to do me a good here. Come yeah, on, do me a favor. Tell my dad. <laughs> Build the myth. Yeah, absolutely. No problem with that at all. Uh, how was day one? Um, well, getting up wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> getting up before noon, it was a little bit tough. But I, we managed to managed to squeak through, and it was... Uh, Everything, uh, everything turned out pretty good. It was. Uh, it took a while. It took a while to get back into the. I don't know everybody out there, and rightfully so. They all do hard jobs that we do. They think it's pretty easy, but sometimes just getting into the rhythm of things, mm-hmm. even after all these years, can be uh, can be uh, pretty tough. But uh, it, I think it turned out okay. No, I mean it's always difficult when you have somebody bossing you around the way Henderson does, right? <laughs> <laughs> Henderson's too busy criticizing the Canucks. So. <laughs> So there's that. He doesn't have to worry about us. Uh, We were joking today. It's back to school day. Um, And we were just kind of having a laugh. You know, just the things the Canucks need to work on. What do they need to go back to school on, Donnie? Well, number one is penalty killing. I, mm-hmm. well, I mean, there's a lot. Winning, <laughs> winning's pretty important, I guess. But let's, you know, they've taken measures to uh, to improve their penalty killing. So when you're when you're worst in the league in a really important category, I think that's where you got to begin, and I think a lot of people will be looking uh, for that. We've gone over the keys to their season before, but that's definitely one of them. You know, improve that penalty killing, whether it's systems, personnel, which they've addressed, whatever the case. That that has to that has to improve in a big big way. Well, and you know, and that's obviously you're right. I mean, we talk, we were talking about that in the first segment. Special teams is such a huge part of it. The other one is obviously health, and we all know um, that's something that you know, goes without saying, but. Yet another training camp, and the status of a couple of players, or at least one player, remains a bit uncertain, and that is Tanner Pearson. I know that you guys spoke about that a little bit today on, yeah. on Donnie and Dolly, and that he is back skating and you know is going to participate in training camp. I guess the question really comes down to, and this is the biggest question I have, and none of us know until he shows up, is he going to pass his physical when he goes through training camp? And I think that's going to be the biggest determining factor in you know, when he's going to be ready or not ready to come back. I think Tanner Pearson right now, and of course, yeah, that physical is key, obviously. But Tanner Pearson, you know, at, at this point, I don't know if you can use the word pleasant, given everything that's happened over the past 12 months with his health, but I think he might fall into the category of a pleasant problem. If he's, if he's healthy, where does he fit in? Well, you know what? You have, you have to deal with that. It's, it, it could be looked at as a, as a positive. And he's a veteran national hockey league player been around for a while for a reason and i'm sure they'd be okay with him with him coming back hey, hey look you know we we all saw the footage of him skating at, at troy stetcher's 
uh, camp out in Richmond, and he looked good. Playing at the National Hockey League level, though, actually playing in a game and, and you know, practicing at a high intensity is a, is a lot uh, different. We all, we all want the best for uh, uh, Tanner Pearson, but you're, you're right, Seth, that, that physical is is so key, and uh, uh, I can't imagine what the last 12 months have been like for him. That's the thing I think people overlook uh, at times of this. It's, it's all well and good to be on the ice and, and do a couple yeah. of things, but you have to grade it under the assumption that, hey, like, can I go into a corner with Victor Hedman? Can I score a goal yeah. on Andre Vasilevsky? You do have to grade it against how to do it against the toughest opponent because if, if you're not capable, suddenly all these questions and doubt are going to come to your mind in a sport and, and when you're an athlete. like You don't want doubt coming to your mind. When you talk about somebody's hand, too, yeah. this is a winger we're talking about. You're also talking about, on top of that physical element, what about shooting? Mm-hmm. And we all remember, you know, uh, a few years ago, Brock Besser suffering a, a wrist injury, I believe it was. You guys can correct me on that. Or, yeah. You know, something in the arm. And his, his shot, I don't think, has been the same, uh, you know, since then. And and, and you can, there's a lot of players who have been, have been like that. So that's big, too, on top of worrying about getting bumped around. What about your shot? Can you get the shot away? And again, I know, you know, Hannah Pearson isn't Bobby Hall, but the shots he, at the NHL level, your shot as a forward as, at any position is really important. And that's, that's a big test for him. Again, not necessarily in practice, not necessarily shooting a million pucks in a row, uh, getting ready for a season, but actually during, during a game. So there's a lot of tests for him. No, absolutely. And, you know, on your show, you guys had J.P. Barry on, Elias Pettersson's agent, of course. And, you know, one thing I found really interesting every time he has been on with you guys is he he never seems too concerned. He always makes sure to mention that, hey, you know, the team still has another year of control left on him. He's RFA at the end of the season. And even if, you know, I know you asked a question today about, hey, if the team does really poorly, is that going to affect the team? And he's like, well, they still have time to figure things out. Like he was very diplomatic in how he answered the question. But I think, you know, we all kind of agree, especially after the three really bad starts we've seen from this team does the storylines around this team Elias Pettersson's contract extension other things we're worried about how much of that gets quieted down if the team actually gets off to a decent start for once Donnie I don't think it's ever going to be quiet but it'll it'll quieten down um if, if they get off to a good start what do we just assume we assume that Elias Pettersson is going to be one of the main reasons for that mm-hmm. and that he'll be racking up points in which case, I don't think it gets quieter. It might get even louder. You know, get, you know, sign this guy now before he, you know, goes on even more of a tear. So I don't. I just think of this market, and and it's part of the beauty of being in a hot Canadian hockey market. I don't think it's ever going to quieten down until that ink is dry on the contract. You know. Alvin has mentioned multiple times, like, hey, we have two years of control. Not that I want this to happen, but I almost wonder, like, next year, if he, if Patterson has to say, like, all right, I'll, like, I'll, I'll hear for one more year. Well, let's see how it goes, and let's see if you can correct it even next year. The stakes for that season would be out of control. <laughs> you know what? And hearing, like, reading between the lines with, with what J.P. Berry had to say today on our show, I get the feeling, uh, if I had to bet on the most likely scenario, that would be it. So the, that final RFA year, uh, that that you know that that final uh, year next year, that you know we're, the Canucks sign him for, for that year, then he's a UFA. I could see that. I, I could see that happening. Um, I think m- most people would be satisfied with him signing. Uh, most people would be most happy in this market with him signing a multi-year contract for you know some some big, big money, but nothing too Austin Matthews ish. 
But I just have a feeling reading between the lines that they almost expect the, you know, the next deal to be a one-year extension and then go into the, go into the, to UFA. It's a little risky, but go into UFA status after that. I mean, that would be the the hardest position for the team to be in because then they have to be, you know, really white knuckle next season and, and try to figure <laughs> out, do we move this guy at the deadline? Does he want to stay or not? Because you can't yeah. be caught in a situation where you're losing for nothing as a free agent. But uh, I think that's the uh, uh, that that's the scariest scenario that may uh, unfold for the team. One thing he did mention I thought was interesting too, though, was he, he kind of mentioned, hey, schedules can always change. And I guess in terms of negotiations, the only way it could change is the team gets off to a really good start. Pedersen plays really well. Well, it becomes very clear what the money's going to look like. And is, does that open up a possibility on the optimistic side that maybe just maybe they do agree to a contract at some point this season? Yeah, well, yes. And, and I think when you look at the JT Miller situation where he signed before uh, his, his deal was up, that anything's a, anything's a possibility. I think that there, there could be a, a point where Elias Pettis says, look, I just want to get this done. I want to get it off. I want to get it off my mind. I'll be okay you know, making $9 million a year or whatever. I imagine I'm going to guess he's going to make more per season than Matthew Barzell. Apologies to the people in Coquitlam. I just wonder if that's, if that's something where he just says, I just want to get this off my mic. Cause I don't think he really enjoys. No, what, I, don't, I don't know many players who would enjoy talking to the media about it. And the thing is, it's not, it's, and that's going to happen in this market. He's going to be asked about it. And if he isn't asked about it, if it's hands off, you know, if those questions are off limit, the limits that his his teammates might have to ask answer those questions, or his coach, or his general manager. So I I could see that I could see that happening where it's just like, hey, I want to get this done. Let let's just let's just commit to here. I've started something here. I want to finish it. I, I could see that happening. Uh, we got a text coming in from uh, Marcus yeah. and Gibsons. Who are you most excited for uh, this coming season? Is, is it a prospect or a, a star? Excited for? Uh, well, I, I don't. This falls under the category of excitement, but in terms of, I, I, I'm uh, let me put this: the fan in me, and I go back a long time in this city and uh, with the Vancouver Canucks. I'm excited to see, and maybe this is a little bit boring because we've already seen these two players. I just think that the two key players for this team right now are Niels Hoglander and uh, Pitt Colson. And, you know, the two 2019 draft picks that spent time, have spent time in Abbotsford, I don't think their progress has been – they haven't lived up to promise, but I think there's still something there. I'm excited to see if they've taken steps. That's, that's, that's who I'm most excited to see. I don't, maybe that's a little – it's not all that sexy – but I just would like to see those guys take a step. But I think it's just so key uh, for this franchise. No, I abs- absolutely agree. And the only question I have is, is Niels Hoaglander the type of player who can win over Rick Tockett? And I don't mean this as in like Rick Tockett is this hard ass who's very hard to win over. I yeah. think as long as you do the things he wants you to do, he's going to be fine. But he's not going to acquiesce to a player like Hoaglander if he doesn't do the things he needs him to do. So that's my biggest question is, can he convince the head coach? Because maybe some other head coaches might feel like they want to give him a bit of a run because of his talent. I just don't see um, Tockett cutting any corners in terms of the details and the expectations of how he's going to have to play within the team structure. It doesn't seem like a fit, does it? Yeah. I think he's going to have a really, really short leash. But you have to think Hoaglander is smart enough that, you know, this – because the defensive side of the game – look, I never played pro hockey. You know, I, as you know, I did play pro football. Let's go back there. <laughs> but, but I never played – it just seems like it's just 
that the concepts are, are seem quite simple and you just hope that he can get it. And, and he's not going to fool Rick Tockett. Rick Tockett is not going to put up with somebody who doesn't work hard, you know, uh, 200 feet of the ice. There's no way. So I just, I, I just think that you, you have to, you know, he has to be intelligent enough to know that he's not going to have a job in this city or any other NHL city unless he buckles down defensively and plays a 200-foot foot game. You'd have to think somewhere along the line, and we've all talked to him, he's a smart kid. You have to think somewhere along the line, the light bulb goes off and, and, and he gets it. And it just seems like such a simple co- concept. And I just think it's so important that he gets that, that he, that he gets, that, uh, gets that concept. Do you see like a high offensive reward to him? Like, that's my struggle, right? Like with, with someone like Goldobin a couple of years ago, I, I could see like, hey, th- there's a fancy player here who can make some nice passes and seize the ice really well and, and can invite players into the game, but didn't really put in the work to, to get better. Now, Nils Hoaglander is a very hard worker, but I, yeah. I don't see like this offensive upside everyone's clamoring for. Like, He doesn't really have a good shot. He's an okay passer of the puck, but it's not like he's just dynamic playmaker he's got tremendous skill with the puck but i think it's very insular that it's not necessarily working with others yeah uh, you know i don't know how much creativity there is and i guess maybe we're at a point now as uh, you know canuck fans canuck nation at a point right now the canucks themselves where you know what does productive mean for nils hoagland is that a 15 goal season an 18 goal season alan jake for i think people would take that you know, um, and if he's playing a middle six role, I think people would be okay uh, with that as long as he's not hurting the team uh, team defensively. There, you know, like Goldobin every once in a while would would surprise you. The problem is there is no consistency there, and that's what's what Hoaglander has to do. It has to be consistent, and maybe not spectacular, but consistent game in game out uh, effectiveness on both both ends uh, of the ice, but. I think the days of thinking maybe he would, I don't know if we ever thought this, but thinking maybe he'd get 25, 30 goals or gone, a season or gone, but just do, do something where the coach has to put you on the ice. Uh, before we let you go, I know the Lions would have looked a lot better with you running the ball again for them, yes. but since you yeah. weren't there, they had a little yeah. bit of trouble against the Alouettes. They still beat them, though, but considering how Rick Campbell called them out and how hard he was on, on them in practice, how important do you think it was for them to win that game on the weekend? Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, what, if they had lost, it would have been what four, four or five. Yeah, they, 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 they'd lost. So, and, and I don't even think it's so much the numbers. It just they they look dead in the in the games before before that. Just 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 completely like against Hamilton, there was just nothing there. They, they looked emotionless at home against the team they were heavily favored to beat, and the same was true with of the the game in Saskatchewan. And I think that, you know, it was, they looked much more alive. It was surprising because that, that Eastern trip's tough. It's the longest trip they have to make. And it, it was surprising, but they came through and they looked alive. And they didn't the, the two or three games before that. I, I thought that was as important as the, now look, I mean, you want to win first and foremost. But I think just the, the fact that they looked like they cared and that they had, there was some emotion there, that was, that was really, really important. And they showed that. They're lucky they did because you know the, you you don't want to go into a into a bye week uh, w- with a, a loss like that or just a, even a you know even even showing up that way that just would not be good. 
Hey, uh, Donna, we appreciate it as always. Uh, welcome back to the airwaves. Uh, and and we'll, we're actually excited to hear more from you uh, on 650 as well. You'll be joining uh, Canucks Talk with Rick. Yes, uh, every, every Wednesday right after our show, uh, Rick and, and Thomas, and then I'll continue with you gentlemen. And then and then Rick's on, on the mornings, I believe, on Friday with uh, with Halford and Bruff. We're looking forward to the we're looking forward to joining the team. Thanks a lot, Donnie. We'll talk soon. Anytime, guys. Lots of fun. Don Taylor from Check TV, Donnie and Dolly back on your airwaves today. And again, as he mentioned, uh, you'll be hearing uh, more from him and Rick uh, on our station uh, with uh, Drance and Dodd uh, on Wednesdays and then uh, on your show every Monday, Sat, and then uh, on Halford and Bruff with Rick on Fridays. Yeah, uh, a lot of content from uh, Donnie and Rick, and I know a lot of people love it. So we're, we're very happy to have you even more from the two gentlemen this season. You were pointing at me when we were talking about uh, Nils Hoagland there. Uh <laughs> It was almost like... Had a bone to pick with what I had to say there? I I, I was very much like the scene from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like pointing at you. <laughs> going, I, that's, I, I see what you're doing there. I see what you're doing there. But you know what? Like That's my big... Look, I, I think he's a fun player. Like my Fun big is gripe, the right word. Fun my is big the right gripe word. is, how does it work with four other players? I think... I that's think, my thing. Okay, so I will give you how it can work, but then I want to delve into... I don't want to do the negative thing right off the bat, sure. but I'll see... Okay, but, the way it can work is if he is tenacious on the forecheck, wins puck battles, and he... he One thing he is good at is when he wins those battles, getting the puck into space. Mm-hmm. Like, you're right, he's not a great playmaker, but one thing he does really well is when he wins a battle on the wall, he's good at finding an open man. You know what I mean? And if you can have the tenacity to consistently... Take the right lanes, right? Do your job. Stay very focused on where you got to go. Win those puck battles because of his tenacity and get the puck to a teammate. I think he can be a retrieval guy, potentially, right? Like, I can see a world if things come together and he does all those things where he can play with JT and Besser, where he can play on the left wing there, be the guy that gets in on the forecheck, causes havoc, works very hard, but he has to be very... I say predictable in how he plays, and he has to really cut out a lot of his extracurricular stuff for that to make sense. But I think if he focuses in on the things he's good at, which is that puck battle and his tenacity along the boards, and for a small guy, he's strong, he knows how to win the puck, that's how he can have success. But it's not sexy necessarily, and it may not lead you to big numbers. You basically just described Philip. Phil DiGiuseppe. With more pace in his game and a bit more skill in his game. Sure, but he doesn't play that way. That's the thing. That's that's the thing. Like, I grant, like, he does all those things. Yeah. I, I, the reason I'm willing to give opportunity after opportunity, because he does work hard. Yes. And I'm cool with that. Like, you you, you skate hard, and you, you go into the areas to try to win pucks. I understand all that. I get all that. But there's supposed to be a reward to it all. Like, you, this isn't, we, we just signed you to a 750K deal. This is, you were the 40th overall pick. You're now coming up to 23 years old. This is supposed to be when we see the best version of yourself. And three years running now, I guess two years running now, it's regressed. Yeah, it has. And the other thing, too, is like when he had success, he had it mostly playing with Pearson and Horvat. Mm-hmm. Now, Horvat obviously loves to carry the puck through the neutral zone, mm-hmm. but it's not exactly a puck-dominant player in the offensive zone. Tanner Pearson is not a puck-dominant player in the offensive zone either, which allowed Hoaglander to be a bit more puck-dominant in the offensive zone. JT's a puck dominant player. So he really has to give away a lot of his own game for it to work there. And that's why, again, the skepticism comes in. And the thing I want to find out about about Hoaglander this season is, is he a player or is he just a busy player? 
And this is where oftentimes it's so easy to get enamored with a guy's skill set. You mentioned Goldobin, but even Goldie, like he was too soft to mm-hmm. be able to play, but he had like good vision, good passing ability, nice shot and all those things, but he was just too soft, not willing to go in the, into corners and didn't want to play the team system well enough and no t- coach trusted him enough for it. The thing with, with Hoaglander though is what type of overall quality does he have to your point? Like not a great shot. Um, the playmaking isn't great, like he can create, but he's not like a natural playmaker. And for the amount he handles the puck, he doesn't create enough. It's a lot of Brendan Leipzig, right? Just to point this out, Nikolai Goldobin had 20 assists. Yes. 20 assists. Niels Hoaglander's big rookie season was 14 assists. Yeah. That's someone in, in a few more games played, but I don't think uh, in seven games Niels Hoaglander's going to chalk up six assists back in the the bubble year but it's not as if like Goldobin played with great players either so there's just more well his best numbers came with playing with Pedersen for a spell right but there was more natural playmaking ability from Goldobin yes which I I think what Nils Hoganer is great at is what you mentioned retrieving the puck and he can protect the puck yes but you still have to move it at some point. You and do. and that's the bit I struggle. And move it where it's aggressive and creative. You can retrieve the puck and you can get to the point. A, a lot of players can do that in this league. But if your game is predicated on, hey, I can dangle some guys and I can make a lot of people look silly, that puck still has to go somewhere, either to the net with you driving it, which again, he does do. Yeah. But he's not a great finisher. He's not a great shooter. He's an okay passer. That's my thing. At some point, the puck has to leave your stick. And what happens there? Well, that's the thing. And, and there's not enough for me to say, hey, let's let's give him chance after chance after chance. Well, I'm, I'm all for giving him a chance this season and yeah. seeing what happens, right? Like, I'm, I'm all for that chance. I have the reason I'm a bit more skeptical on him is just everything you outlined. And I want him to work out. Like, we went through this last week. We talked about, hey, if this team's going to be a four line team, a few things have to happen. And two of them are. Put Colson and Hoaglander not only being everyday players, but being able to play prominent roles every day for the team. Like that's how you can all of a sudden be, hey, a pretty formidable forward line team. But that's two pretty big leaps that have to happen. And I'm just a bit skeptical on Hoaglander, not only, you know, the skill set, but also is he going to have the discipline to do the things he needs to do to be able to win over the coaching staff and have the trust in him? And that's where, to your point, if he's doing the things PDG's doing already, it makes it a lot easier just to give PDG that nod or give Bavillier that nod. Here's the other thing. We keep saying Beauvillier or PDG is the, the the bar that they have to cross. And there's elements of truth of that. For this team to actually get good, again, we're talking about someone like put Colson. Tenth overall pick, right? Like yeah. this is a, a, a pedigree player. The person you should be trying to beat is Brock Besser. It's not as if Brock Besser's nailed down his spot long term. We, we've been talking about trade candidates for the last seven months for Brock Besser. Now it's cooled off, but... If if you're making a, a depth chart or a hierarchy across the league, it's not like Brock Besser is like a bona fide top 20 winger across the league. Mm-hmm. You should be trying to beat that guy. Yeah. And if you end up just below it, okay. But don't tell me that Brock Besser's spot is written in stone. No, I mean... It no, shouldn't I, be. It shouldn't be. Now, I'm with you. I don't necessarily disagree with that. And that's just my question about a lot of these guys. Is like we see players with clear skill, 
but are you busy or are you actually functional in how you play, right? And I know I use that word functional quite a bit, but it's something that does matter. It's like, hey, you have skills, you can do a lot of flashy things, but do you accomplish anything? You know, remember how people got mad at me for mentioning that about Levo a few years ago? Oh boy. They're like, oh, what are you? you don't know anything about hockey and where is he now? He's out of the league. I mean, it's the same thing. He's busy. You, you see things mm-hmm. you like. He does a lot of things that are good, but the end product never comes. It's almost never there. And it's like, it's very incomplete, but you see the flash and you like the flash. And you're like, man, this guy's got something. But a lot of players have flash, but where do you take that flash, right? And that's where, you know, I, I see people kind of mention, we talked about this before, when people say we should have given Hoaglander a longer term contract, make a bet and, and, you know, win. I'm like, what is the best version of Hoaglander? Because the best version of Hoaglander to me is not a $5 million player. It's a $3 million player. And what are we talking about here? You know, so it's, that's kind of what I'm looking at with him. But hopefully he's able to have a good season. Uh, Jeff and East Hill. Boys, the more you talk, the more it sounds like Vancouver is a place where high draft picks go to die. Unless your name Pedersen Hughes. I mean, JT Miller was a high draft pick. Not by I Vancouver. Mean, not by Vancouver. Not by Vancouver. But yes. Yeah. Uh, anyways, good thoughts. Keep them coming in the inbox. Uh, we'll wrap up the show on the other side. Mariners on the way at 3.30. Uh, we'll do... Uh, some NFL power rankings on a Tuesday, the official week one NFL power rankings, and we'll give you our records across the league uh, all coming up here on Sportsnet 650. Of the People Show, wrapping things up on a Tuesday here. Vic Mazar, Satyar Shaw, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500. Five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. It's a short work week for us. I mean, we had Monday off. We have tomorrow off. We have tomorrow off. And unbeknownst to me, I showed up today expecting to be on till 4 o'clock. So, I mean, I was surprised. I found out we're only on till till 3.30 today. No working. No working today. Not much. Real chill. Uh, By the way, some people texted in. uh, Still spots to get into for the... People show fantasy oh, football right. league. Yes. Draft goes tomorrow, so yeah, you still uh, still got some chances. Uh, spots are filling up. Uh, big shouts, uh, shout outs to uh, Todd, to Mike, to obviously Marcus and Gibsons, to Jay, uh, Jordan from Langley. I'm going to send out a couple more invites, so you still got a chance to get in. 650, 650. Uh, tell us what you're donating to. Uh, some people have made some very sizable donations. Amazing. Uh, so big shouts to the people that have earned their way in. Still reviewing uh, some more as well, but you still got a chance. Uh, you can DM me at Bick Nazar. Uh, be in the league with me and Dom and obviously the, the, the previous winners or 650, 650, 650, 650. Tell us what, you're, uh, what cause you're trying to help out uh, for the people show that uh, gets your entry. You're playing for Canucks tickets and uh, a signed jersey from a prominent Canucks player. Amazing. I love it. I love it. It's plus, great. Plus a lot more. Uh, swag, station swag. Sponsor swag. We'll have a bunch of stuff for you. Yeah, 650 is upping the game this season, so you're going to get a lot of quality yeah. being part of the 650 or the People Show Fantasy Football League. Yes, uh, you can get in uh, by donation. Uh, a lot of people have already sent me theirs, uh, and so they're in. Uh, you can get in 650, 650. Let me know what you're working on, and uh, we're, we're drafting tomorrow. But we're drafting yes. tonight for the staff uh, staff league. Yeah, that's Elon, Josh, you guys are in? 
Yeah, we've been crushing some mock drafts right now. Is that why you guys haven't been on air? Like, we, we've looked at you guys, we're like, Josh, Elon, you're ready to talk, and you're like, busy out there? Yeah, yeah. we're doing our prep work. Doing research. Researching. It's yeah. sports-related, so it counts sure. as work. Sure. Sure. <laughs> That's a great thing about, you know, working in sports talk radio. You can have your fantasy football oh, yeah. page up, and no one's going to bat an eye. It's like, hey, I'm just looking at stats. Man, you have the stock page up. People are like, hey, 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 hey what are you work, doing? Back yeah. to work. Back yeah, to if work. you have, like, the general news page up or anything like that, you'll be in trouble. Your Why general finance. Do that on your free time. <laughs> uh, why are you looking at gas prices? Our <laughs> listeners don't care. Inflation. How dare you? <laughs> I hope the interest rates don't go up tomorrow. Uh, so we we did our draft order pretty cool. Uh, Canberra's dog, yeah. Phoebe. Fantastic. Uh, we got a video, and it was treats placed all around the Barra residence. It was actually, you know, I, I was going to tell Cam, he should have made a TikTok out of that. Could have sure. done well. Could have done sure. well. Could have done well. And the, the draft order was determined by how quickly or in what order phoebe found uh your treat yeah well so yeah there was a treat on top of little cue cards with our names on it and what was very obvious to me was phoebe has an innate sense of knowing who the dog people are (laughs) and that's why i have the third overall pick if you were a cat person you're near the near the back of the draft well that's why that's why phoebe walked by uh josh's name twice he could have been fifth or eighth and ends up where 11th. 11th. Phoebe yeah. and I got beef. No. It, it was one of those. like cat on your name. Smelt my treat and was like, <laughs> you know what? Not that one. Smells like a cat. Smells like a cat. I will say it, it was one of the, the draft order uh, ways that, that you don't feel angry. No, because it's a dog eating treats. Were you going to be mad at the dog? Like I, I've done ones where it's, where it's a, like a, a golf tournament. Where you're watching, like, oh yeah, pick a pick a player, pick a player, choose your fighter. So you're just living and dying by Sergio Garcia's putts. You're like, no, <laughs> no, Hideki yeah. Matsuyama's is hitting it from 140. How come Sergio can't hit a nine foot putt? You know, you did one which was fun, where you assigned songs to yeah. us once, and then you hit shuffle on a playlist. How, whatever order they come in, that was good. Yeah, and then you're like, Enrique Iglesias, <laughs> what are you doing? You're not my hero. So you still get mad, but when it's a little dog doing it. Then it's like, right, gonna be mad at I, can, I could still get mad. You can get mad, but that's, you know. I mean, that just might be because you have malice in your heart, though. That's just because he doesn't like dogs. He likes no, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. I like dogs. <laughs> Phoebe in particular right now. We're not on the same page. That's for <laughs> sure. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, that draft goes tonight. Uh, all right. We do it every Tuesday during the football season. It is the NFL Power Rankings. Oh, very good. Call it Bix Best, but you're here, so we'll call it the Power Rankings uh, for week one. So you're like, this is the worst. Well, yeah. next week I'm, I'm back solo again, but for uh, the here and now, uh, let's do this. We did it a couple of weeks ago, kind of the preseason Power Rankings, but now that we're in the season, let's make some adjustments. Final roll call for the Power Rankings here on the People Show. Let's start at number 10. They're moving down. It's the Seattle Seahawks. What? Yeah, I moved them down from eight. Wow, I, I, I why? Just... just a little. I, I want to see proof of concept of this new defensive uh, line. I want to see it work before I thrust them right. into the top eight. And it's a reason I knocked out the Baltimore Ravens. I want to see. I, I've done this too many times where I was like, "Oh, the offense is going to be so great." I've done it too many times when it comes to Lamar and the passing. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for it, but I want to see it. So that's why I knocked them out. Seahawks coming at number ten for me, and it's also the reason I knocked the Chargers down a little bit too. They're at nine. I just want to see it with Justin Herbert. I want to see it with the defense. There's just too many question marks. I just... What's the Justin Herbert question mark? I want to see what the offense looks like. Right. There might be, I don't know, growing pains. 
it, it could be a very explosive offense and both the Chargers and the Ravens could soar past a bunch of people and be top six teams. But I, I just want to see it first. I'm excited, but to begin the year, I'm not, I'm trying not to do many projections to begin the year. Okay. All right. And that's why has risen up now for me in the ranks going from 11 to or sorry from 12 to 8 I know that they're going to win at least 9 games it's Pittsburgh Steelers Steelers Mike Tomlin you could have a rookie QB no offensive line TJ Watt for out for half the year and they still win 9 games they're healthy right now Kenny Pickett's a year older and it's Mike Tomlin I'm just going to put them at 8 right now Maybe they slide back, and maybe this is their ceiling, to be honest. But to begin the year, eighth best team in football. Seven, I'm going the Miami Dolphins. Ooh, all right. Six, I want to slide them down, but they'll hold true here. Even after Mark Schofield confirmed Brock Purdy, maybe three other teams he starts for. 49ers (laughs) comes in at six. Eagles, we were just talking about this in the break. Maybe we're overrating the Eagles a bit, but they still hold firm at five. You're the NFC champions. You come in at five. Cowboys at four. And then this is where it gets interesting. I got these three teams almost neck and neck. I'll go Bengals at three. Joe Burrow's my MVP pick, as yeah. we talked about last week. Josh Allen, the Bills at two, and the Kansas City Chiefs at one. So again, that is Seahawks at 10, Chargers at nine, Steelers at eight, Dolphins, 49ers, Eagles, Cowboys, Bengals, Bills, Chiefs to start week one of the NFL season. I don't know if I can disagree too much with that list, especially... Um, I mean, my only question with the Eagles is it's very hard. The teams that lose a Super Bowl and uh, lose some key players have a pretty hard time the next season. Mm-hmm. Like, generally, they do. So that will be my only kind of and, question and, about And don't them. overlook uh, interior defensive line for the Eagles. Now, I know they drafted Jalen Carter, but it's still a rookie, man. You still have to see it work. Javon Hargrave going out, that's a big loss for them. Now, he ends up in San Francisco. That's mm-hmm. a big addition. But... That's going to be one that gets looked at a lot. How does that rookie curve go for someone like Jalen Carter? Because could be the best player in the draft. Could it, There's some volatility to uh, Jalen Carter. Yeah, there is some. But it depends on how he gets used, right? But anytime you get that far and, you know, teams poach some coaches, mm-hmm. uh, they poach some of your players, it's never as easy. But, I mean, I guess you can ask the Bengals. They got to the Super Bowl in 20, uh, 2022, yeah. and then last year they were on the verge of getting there again. So it doesn't necessarily mean anything, the past history. Super Bowl hangover hits the loser more than it does the winner. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to watch the Eagles. No, I mean, they're fun to watch. And my thing for this year for Jalen Hurts, because I, I, I love watching Jalen Hurts, does he truly take that step from where he's at into that next stratosphere of quarterbacks? We were talking about him saying he's he's yeah. with like the absolute feel, top guys. Do you feel like no matter what happens this year, he'll move a tier, either, either up or down? Does he, or just move down? Like right now in the second, he's in, to me he's in the second tier. He's at the very top of that second tier. You can argue, right? Like it's so it's Mahomes in his own tier, right? Mm-hmm. And then you go Allen and Burrow. Mm-hmm. And then to me, it's, it's like, like the, the Lawrence Lamar, Lawrence Herberts, Lamar, Herbert, Hurts. Yeah. These guys are there. I don't know if he, I mean, he would have to have a really bad year to me to slide out of that tier. There were things that you can say like, hey, outside of the pocket, do you like he scrambles yeah. obviously very well. But do you throw well on the run? Um, do you drop your eyes too soon? It's probably something we should ask Mark, but we'll wait after week one to get into it more as we talk about quarterbacks every week with Mark Schofield here on the People Show. But. I feel like it's more likely he moves a tier than stays in the same tier. Okay, that's Cause, interesting. Because maybe the, the flaws can are accentuated and 
they're a nine win team instead of a thirteen win team, and people are saying, "Hey, this could be the the, the signs of things of way to attack Jalen Hurts," or he continues to progress as he's done every single year of his career, and then he confirms, "Hey, I'm a real tier two QB." And I'm not going anywhere for some time. So Justin Herbert last season had his worst season as a pro and is yeah. only three years in. But it was still a net positive year. It wasn't like he, you know, he mm-hmm. had a horrible season. But also it was like your last year was at ribs. 100%. But he just maybe moved down the tier a little bit, but he didn't move. He didn't down move a tier. a tier. He didn't no. move a tier. And he had. So is the year Hurts going to have going to be worse than the year that Herbert had last season. That's to me the only way he falls out of a tier, which would be a precipitous drop, which I don't anticipate. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you the boring answer and say he stays in the tier. Yeah, I, I just feel if they're good again, then it's just look, this guy is phenomenal and we should be talking about him as like, you know, with the Burrows and the Allens because Mahomes in his own tier. But if he makes that jump, that is absolutely huge. Um, but I'm interested in what the Eagles look like this year. I am very interested in their... I mean, I guess it might be a dumb question, but because of how the running game has been devalued, really, any intrigue about how their running attack is going to be built this season? I mean... They have a good your heads line, for fantasy, right? But and yeah, for fantasy is the big question, right? Because because I mean they have Kenneth Gainwell, who's obviously talented. It brought Rashard Penny in, of course, but he can never stay healthy. Do they have an issue in terms of having a lead back? And does it matter even? No, I don't think it matters for them. Their, their lead back is their offensive line, and and that's that's because I mean that's the only obvious hole, so to speak, they have on their offense, right? The only obvious like, oh, this might be an issue is their running backs, and even that's not that big of a concern. So I don't know where the issue with the offense is going to be, unless unless Bick. The offense doesn't run as smooth because of the changes to the coaching personnel. Now, Sirianni has, has said, I, I was listening to the uh, uh, Athletic Show podcast, and, and Robert Mays was saying, he was, he was asking, he was talking about, like, you know, hey, is your offense going to be any different this year? Are you going to have more say? And he, he was very quick to say, I've always had a big say in our offense. So do you look at that being any different? Could that make an impact? Because personnel-wise, I don't really see too many issues. Like, if you want to kind of rubber stamp a team's offense outside of the Bills and the yeah. Chiefs, that might be the team to be like, oh, they'll just be the same. Yeah, that's why I feel like they're they're safeguarded. Yeah, but I want to see that transition because again, Sirianni started the season calling plays, switched it over to yeah. Shane Steichen, who's now in Indianapolis. Is there some hiccups there? But again, if if it works, then they're amongst. Uh, the, the Bills and the Bengals all of a sudden. But no doubt. what that transition looks like is going to be interesting to watch. All right. Uh, let's do our record predictions. Oh, let's do this. Uh, we'll race through these. Okay. Uh, we'll go by division by division. We'll start in the NFC East there Okay. Uh, we'll, while we're talking about the Eagles. I got Dallas and Philly each with 12 wins. Uh-huh. Giants with nine. Washington with five. Commanders trailing there. All right. Uh, we're going to have some overlap here. I have Dallas and Philly both with 12 wins. Giants with eight. Washington with five. All right, we got a breakaway at some point. Uh, <laughs> NFC South. I got the Saints. I've mentioned this before. Yeah. Bad schedule. 11 wins from them, seven from the Falcons, six each from the Carolina uh, Panthers and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, so different records, but same division winner. I have New Orleans winning the division. Eight and nine, however. Losing team winning the division. Eight and nine. Atlanta, six and 11. No Car- love for the, for the NFC South. No love for the NFC South. Atlanta, six and 11. Carolina, six and 11. Tampa Bay, four and three. And I thought I liked the Falcons more. But going through their schedule is hard to give them more than the six wins. Uh, all right, so you'll have more uh, higher priced division winners than I will because I because we're we're talking about a discrepancy of three wins there. Uh, NFC North, Green Bay, 
10. Minnesota, 9. I see Josh shaking his head behind the glass. <laughs> Detroit also above 500 with 9. Uh, but Chicago coming out at 6 seed. But you should be thrilled. You're, you're, you win your lasagna bet this way. Yeah, well, I'm fine with that. I, I'm like, that's an easy win. But surely Sat will be more reasonably minded. Uh, the Vikings are, or even the Lions to win, right? No, I have Green Bay. 11 wow. wins. 11 wins for Green Bay. Minnesota with 9. Detroit with 8. So 8-9. So slightly losing record in Chicago with 6 wins. Not happy with the guys. It's hard. Again, like we made this point last week. Your your record isn't always an indication of your team. It's an indication of the schedule that you play. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big part of why I have Green Bay at 11. This is the one, the NFC West, is where I debated maybe a flip. And this is where I've ultimately come out to. San Fran at 12. Seattle at 10. LA Rams at 5. Arizona with two wins. NFC West. How are you stacking your uh, records here? All right. So I'm going here with San Francisco with 12 wins, Seattle with 11, Ooh. Rams with six, Arizona with two. So, so you're, you're projecting Seattle with uh, I am. pretty tight there. I, I, I left a gap between them and 49ers, but maybe that's an emotional hedge and I, I can flex later uh, down the road. I, this is a question I posted. <laughs> Remember a few weeks ago, I asked you, I'm like, hey, um, like how big of a difference is there between San Francisco and Seattle's roster? It's not as big as you may think. Now, on defense, of course, I mean... <laughs> defense is where, like defensive line is where it really stands. Obviously, yeah. is where it stands. But the rest of the team, is not, it's not that divergent. So... I think the Seahawks could sneakily be really in the divisional race. By the way, if you missed the news earlier today, Seahawks, you'll hear them on our airwaves. Yes. This season, uh, starting this Sunday, uh, as they get ready to play the Rams and all season long, uh, the Seahawks uh, will be here on Sportsnet 650. All right, AFC East, Buffalo, 12. New England, 9. Miami, 8. The New York Jets also with 8. In that loaded AFC East. Uh, Not quite. I have Buffalo with 13 victories, Miami with nine, New England with eight, and the Jets with also eight. So two, eight, nine teams. So just one marquee team and then... Everybody else kind of a 500 team. Around there. Interesting. Uh, AFC South. Jacksonville, I got nine. Tennessee, also nine. Indianapolis with six. And Houston with five. A couple of rookie QBs in there. All right. Uh, I may be down on Houston a little bit here, but I have Jacksonville with 10. Tennessee with eight. Uh, Indiana with seven wins and Houston with three. Three? Yeah, it might be a little low on Houston, but I had a hard time giving them a lot of wins. Man, we haven't had a lot of breakaway here. We, I think we have the same order in a lot of these two. A lot of them, yeah. Uh, all right, AFC North, Cincy 12, Pittsburgh 11, Baltimore 10, sorry, Sat, Cleveland Browns with eight. <laughs> all right, I have Cincinnati with 12, Baltimore with 12, but Cincinnati went into division. Pittsburgh with 11, Cleveland with nine. Cleveland finishing four teams above 500? Four above 500 in that division. Might have to check that one. We'll see at the end. It could be Pittsburgh that goes uh, under 500. It's a lot of brown colored glasses. Uh, the nine and eight. That. It's like 500 team. All going above 500. All right. AFC West, Kansas City with 13, LA Chargers with nine, Denver with eight, and uh, Vegas with four. Uh, I have KC 13, Chargers nine, Denver nine, Vegas four. Yeah, there's not a lot of. Man, we, we should have. Uh, we should do these. things with different shows. Yeah. I did do the NFL schedule way too many times. It, it's it's a bad exercise. It is. It, it is. It, it just drives your mind crazy. Josh has been behind the glass doing it for the last hour and a half. But it's it's I loved it. it it's fun yeah. doing it, but you realize like, oh, like why am I giving this team so many wins? Like 272 it, games, it, it's a lot. When you go through the NFL schedule and do every single game, 
like it changes your perception mm-hmm. or conception of like how you view the season because it goes beyond what you think about the team. It's a matchup coming off buys and everything and all these factors come into it. So that's what you have to really be mindful of. Glenn and Richmond says no ties in these win-loss predictions. I say they're over three and a half this year. I agree there will be ties, but how do we project yeah. which team gets a tie? So you yeah. can't predict ties for individual teams. It's impossible. Pick which game is going to be a tie. Yeah, it's impossible. You should. Like, you should. Pick, pick one right now. Uh, this Three question. of 272 is 1%. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. what are we doing? Uh, this question, who is Arizona beating? <laughs> it's really hard to go the undefeated is, or unbeat or winless. I would I would prefer to give to make them 0-16 or 0-17. That would have been made a lot easier. It but was hard giving them two wins. It's professional sports. They're going to get a couple. And you just have to find two in there and just shoehorn them in. I don't agree that they're better than anyone. They're the worst. Honestly, they might be the worst team I've ever seen. <sighs> Genuinely, they might be the worst team we'll ever see. Or even worse still, than the, uh, the Cleveland Browns, who went one and thirty-one over two years. They won one game in two years. The Browns did. Is yeah, that roster worse? Like, I, I think I'd rather have Huey Jackson than Jonathan Gannon. <laughs> well, I will say Jonathan Gannon is Gannon had had the least inspiring. Oh, it was uh, speech. so bad. And I mean, fire in your gut. Dude, the thing that Did you I, take the bus in today? It's like, what are you talking about? The, what was the right okay. answer? We, we didn't have talk it? about this on Friday because we, we have to play it. Though? I don't know if we have. If you, Josh, if you can pull it up, we'll, we'll air this. It's on the rundown. You should be able to get it. We talked about like the Rick Talkett interview with IMAC. And look, it's a lot of coach speak. And we said, like, he's saying all the right things. But look, it's a lot of coach speak. The, re- the reason I want to play this is it's also difficult and it's possible to get it wrong. And when it sounds wrong, you know what it sounds like. And this is Jonathan Gannon. <laughs> and this is not hard knocks. This is this is like Arizona Cardinals released footage that where this is coming from. They're trying to sandbag him themselves anyways. Well, they're trying to promote him, and this is what it sounds like. Welcome back. Who drove over here? Quick, let me see your hands. Who took the bus? Did you have fire in your gut? Did you? We're here for a reason. Don't get that twisted. Okay, we're here for a reason to win games. So if you didn't have that fire in your gut, you better light the fire pretty fast. Be who you are. Just understand, I'm looking for killers. And I'm begging people to like go watch a Mike Tomlin conference. Or, or a Deion conference. Sanders. Yeah, Deion, Deion. Watch how those guys interact with their players. It's not like that. Well, and, and the best part about this is, so the team released this video. Yeah. This is the best version of Jonathan Gannon they put out. Like, yeah. out of all the video they took behind the scenes, this is the, one this is the most it. inspiring moment he had. These are the highlights. <laughs> it's Jonathan true. Gannon. Something got cut. I just don't, me and Dom were talking about this on Friday. We were like, what's the right answer to if you took the car or the bus? What gives you more fire in your gun? Is it the bus? Because the bus because you, you want more. You want it more? No, it's like you want the next thing. I I gotta work for the Camry, and then I gotta work <laughs> for the Benz. Then I gotta work for the Bentley. Right now, man, bus pass. I got a compass car right you now. Got a bus. Are we sure this isn't some SNL skit? Some I, long I, seriously, form? I wish it was. Like honestly, when I saw it, when I saw I got sent out, my first reaction was like, "Oh, are they doing something? Like are the Cardinals doing some special like with somebody or whatever?" And then when that was told, Oz that, the Mentalist comes out or something. Yeah, like that. and I thought like, well, "No, wait, wait, this is this is what the Cardinals are promoting." So the Cardinals thought, like, we have to promote our coach. This is the best yeah. version of our coach. Let's put this out there. 
It's not inspiring. And to your point, especially in the NFL, when you, you, you talk to NFL players, you talk to you know coaches and, and analysts, one thing they always say is, you got to connect with these guys. Especially with, with, with these types of players that have to play such a violent sport. You have to connect with them on a different level. You have to inspire them. That was not inspiring. It's, it's easier to lose it than it is to gain it. And mm-hmm. right now, like again, we talked about the Rick Tocca thing. That's someone that's like, hey, this is a small step in a bigger scale, but you have to keep taking these steps. And and they might not they they might not seem meaningful individually, but if you keep doing them, then it matters, and you make those connections. And Rick Tocca goes on and on about trying to make these connections with these players. That's how you start developing the steps, the the, the path to where they want to go. You can't be awkward. You're losing people immediately. And they showed some players' reactions. Like, Buda Baker is just like, the frown is like, what's happening? <laughs> what's going on? And people text in, like, what do we just listen to? Exactly. But there's coaches like this across all sports that just get it wrong. The Arizona he, he has, Cardinals. Like, the, yeah. thing, the thing about him is for him to have, be successful as a coach, he has to be so smart with his, his personnel decisions and his game plans that the, that the players go, they're like, yeah, he may not be inspiring. But he's helping me. But he's helping us win. He's helping me make a roster, get yeah. checks, and all these other things. Mike McDaniel talks about that all the time. He's like, I didn't play at a high level, so I got to work harder for all these other people to have their trust in me mm-hmm. that I'm going to help put food on their tables. Is in, like nobody's inspired, and yeah, there's a good chance Arizona goes winless. But right now, just professional sports, this is teams are just going to find ways to win a game. Here's a question: it, It's for definitely you. the lowest lowest amount of wins I think I've ever given someone though coming into a season. Yeah, it's pretty rough. It's hard to give somebody two. Like I always like three or four is kind of the cutoff point. The only question is: Would would the Cardinals even fire him this year? Or are they happy to just have the worst record possible? Probably thrilled. Yeah, probably thrilled. Uh, all right, we're not on tomorrow. We'll be back on Thursday. We'll have the the Thursday nighter to preview, although no Travis Kelsey, it seems like. Uh, Doubtful after a knee injury today at practice. But uh, we'll get into a lot more throughout the course of the week. Mariners on the way. Blue Jays later on today here on Sportsnet 650.